0: Lines. Live
1: from the divided states of America, sitting atop the transmission tower of truth, taking down hypocrisy, one lie at a time. In your ladies' corner, my trolls call me Moscow Mary, but I'm your pierogi princess, a journalist extraordinaire, farron Franzak.
2: And in the left corner, I'm your indefatigable, your ever vigilant, your burning ember in the darkness on a very cold day. Your political analyst, Jamal Thomas.
1: Which means you're listening to Fault Lines with Thomas and Franzak. A lot going on this morning, so let's just get straight to headlines here, folks. In your national news, President Joe Biden on Monday submitted a $5.79 trillion budget plan to Congress that calls for record peacetime military spending and further aid for, U- for Ukraine. trillion dollars. I have no words, Sean. This while raising taxes for billionaires and companies and lowering government deficits. The president said he was calling for higher defense spending to strengthen the U.S. military and forcefully respond to Russian President Vladimir Putin's aggression against Ukraine with one billion in additional U.S. support for Ukraine's economic, humanitarian, and security needs. Jamal, I'm gonna pop off.
2: It's astonishing, really. I mean, look, if you live we in, have
1: problems here. Exactly. What the hell?
2: If you live in DC and you're walking through DC, you see oh all these homeless god. people just right now on the street, freezing outside, people on the street. But Ukraine. But Ukraine. It's astonishing.
1: I oh my god. We need to invoke the 25th amendment like stat. Ugh.
2: And get President Kamala who will make it all right. Um At this point, States. a potato could do a better job. I don't think Kamala could do a better job, frankly. I mean, I think we're screwed either way. I don't necessarily think putting Kamala in, who has, what, 10% less than Biden's approval rating, who's already, what, 10% less than he started. I don't know, man. I think we're screwed um, either way with 25th Amendment or otherwise, unless you're trying to go with Nancy Pelosi. I just... Which is getting rid of Kamala and...
1: Another billion dollars. Okay, uh, we'll get to that in a second, and I'm I'm gonna pop off here for a second, but or I'll pop off after. Yeah, finish. Let me just get through this news. <laughs> the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol Monday referred two more former Trump administration officials for criminal charges for their refusal to testify. The committee voted nine to zero in favor of referring criminal charges for former Trump White House aides Dan Scavino Jr. and Peter Navarro. That recommendation will now be sent to the full house of, Repre- of representatives for a vote if that vote passes the referral would be passed on to the justice department in your international news ukraine and russian negotiators met in turkey for the first face-to-face talks in nearly three weeks with ukraine seeking a ceasefire without compromising on territory or sovereignty as its forces have pushed russians back from kiev turkish president Tayyip erdogan welcomed delegations from both sides at an Istanbul palace saying, quote, stopping this tragedy was up to them. Ukrainian television reported the talks had begun with a, a cold welcome and no handshake. China began its most extensive coronavirus lockdown in two years Monday to conduct mass testing and control a growing outbreak in Shanghai as questions are raised about the economic toll of the nation's zero-COVID strategy. The citywide lockdown will be conducted in two phases and will be China's most extensive since the central city of Wuhan, where the virus was first detected in late 2019 and confined its 11 million people to their homes for 76 days in early 2020. In your tech news, I don't know if you folks saw last night, uh, Elon Musk in um, kind of in a backlash to all the censorship happening. Elon Musk has proposed starting his own censorship free Twitter that's coming out. So we'll see if that works. But I would prefer him just, you know, get everybody an electric car. Everybody deserves something at this point because we've all lost. We all deserve a prize. Your holidays today are National Vietnam War Veterans Day, National Mom and Pop Business Owners Day. Too bad all of them got closed during COVID and they're not getting any help. And Smoke and Mirrors Day. Those are your headlines for Tuesday, March 29th, 2022.
2: Yeah, that money's going to okay, Ukraine. Okay, I'm about to
1: have a coronary.
2: That's not going to those families that need it and everything else. That's going to Ukraine. Think about that. Billion dollars.
1: Tulsi Gabbard was on Tucker Carlson the other night. No, Jesse Waters. And she said, it was either Tucker or Jesse, one of the two. But they, they're they the ones that have her on. And even, um, oh, no, no. She was on, I'm sorry, she was on Sean Hannity. Because Sean Hannity likes to... I used to kind of listen to him, but now I won't even stumble across him because he interrupts people every two seconds to hear his own stupid self talk. That, like, and again, I used to be somewhat of a fan because I was like, oh, he's a tough hitting question. But I think ever since Tucker, like, passed him in ratings, it's just he's a buffoon. But T- Tulsi said to him point blank, she was like, look, Ukraine is not going to win this war. You are literally taking a country that has that is outgunned outmanned against a nuclear power and by giving them more and more ammos, weapons, all this other stuff, you are literally telling them that, oh yeah, you can win the war when they cannot. And she was saying like, we need to like be honest parents here and say, you're not going to win this no matter how hard you try. That's just life, kid. And here you have it where, nope, Keep, keep giving them more money. Folks, we are giving money to a, one of the most corrupt governments on the, on the face of this planet. There are more oligarchs in Ukraine than there are in Russia. I looked that up last night. There are more oligarchs in Ukraine that are taking this money and, you know, one of the one of the fun things, um, I forget what what it was. It was um it was the third installment of Ukraine on fire. It was the 30 years of independence. And they were talking about how capitalism is when those who have m- the most money are in power and that it's for socialism where the way it was in Ukraine. It was those in power have all the money. And that is in turn where you create, and again, if you haven't seen any of the installments, I have it on my YouTube on a playlist, but it's called like Europe on fire. So it's not like flagged, Um, but you can see all three of them. Honestly, if you haven't, they're great. Just they go through everything, the history of Ukraine, why we're here, even back to all the different, the reasons why there's, you know, one side that's more you know, um, Ukrainian speaking and one side that's more Russian speaking and all the different, you know, territories it used to be a part of. It's a hodgepodge of a country. Um, It's a civil war that's going on there. And for those that tell you otherwise, they are idiots. They don't know the history because it is a civil war like North and South here and our civil war. That's how it is in Ukraine right now. But again, all of this money, our money, if they have a billion dollars to play with, then they have way too much money. Because that is our money. I owe them. I owe I did my taxes yesterday. I owe them 50 bucks for my federal taxes.
2: That's going to Ukraine.
1: And, but it's like, it's like <laughs> excuse me, why do I owe you 50 bucks? You have no flipping idea how to balance a budget. You don't need, I mean, it's just give them more money. Give them more money. I mean, these people literally, I think, are 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 the biggest. Flipping idiots I have ever seen in my entire life at this point. I mean, I I always had hope for this country. Seeing now that we're sending more, I I'm I'm moving to like Liechtenstein or something.
2: I, I feel your outrage. Feel it. It's coming off you in waves. I, I can just kind of, you know, feel it against my skin. But here's the thing. Here's the
1: rub. Is well, I, I'm okay. Okay. I'm okay. I'm I'm a single white female with my with my dog and two cats. I have a good job. I'm okay. It's the others that lost their business that are dealing with a medical emergency or something medical that's put them in so much debt. You know, other kids that are, you know, in in racking up college debt that can't pay it off. I mean, those people aren't okay. And that's where my anger comes in. I'm okay, but it's for those that aren't, that these people are like, ah, screw you. Ukraine, though. Oh, you folks need help. Notice how we'll help 100,000 Ukrainian refugees. What about the Yemeni refugees, the Afghan refugees, the Iraqi refugees, the Iranian refugees, all of these other refugees that we, of these countries that we've screwed up. But again, we don't take care of our own people. And it's seriously like... Uh, oh, any oh, producer Laith, Farron openly admitting she's not giving her fifty dollars. Laith, I'm giving him fifty bucks.
3: <laughs> Shut
2: up. Farron is gonna dodge her taxes. Um, look, I Ugh. look, I would say this. I understand your age, I understand your um, you know, angst and whatnot. This has nothing to do with helping Ukraine. In fact, it's the opposite of that, meaning I wouldn't necessarily right. look at this and say, you know, oh, why are we helping Ukraine? We're not. United States is willing to fight to the less dead Ukrainian. And the way they're willing to fight to the last dead Ukrainians, here's more weapons. Here's more money. Just keep fighting. Bleed Russia white. That's the point. It has zero to do with, hey, let's give this money to help the Ukrainian citizens do X or Y. It's not that. It's not that. It's not that. Everything that's taking place is a culmination of U.S. policy leading back to the fall of the Soviet Union, in which case the goal of it is to basically undermine and destroy Russia. And Biden, like I said, said the quiet part all out. The money that they're sending, the weapons that they're sending, oh, we need some more airplanes and more guns and more jets and more, et cetera, et cetera. And Ukraine Zelensky, who I call a dirtbag, is out there jumping from pillar to post trying to kickstart a third world war. And in this very specific case, wants more weapons that he can't use, meaning, hey, give us F-15s, who's gonna fly them? Give us more tanks, who's gonna drive them? Nobody. So here's these old Soviet weapons that you guys know how to use and that you in no situation will win. We just need you to continuously to bleed them white. We need this conflict to keep going. We want to go after the Russian economy. We want to destroy it in a way where the people will rise up and give rid of food, in the same way that we expected that to take place in Venezuela and many of these other states that it never happened, by the way. And look, the weirdest and maybe the, the dirty secret is that this is not the same thing as Iraq. Meaning this is not going after a country that is like Iraq. You, Russia is plugged into the economic system and the consequences. I've been looking at some of the stuff that's coming out. It's astonishing. You have Germany faces up to 10% inflation due to embargo on Russia. That's alone. that embargo alone. Meaning that hasn't even been priced in yet. And these guys are getting hit with levels of inflation. The UK is going to get hit where they're cutting their GDP. When they said that, Europe had a collection as fit. Collective. That is not our policy. Can't believe the president is doing this. Why is Biden saying this? Et cetera, et cetera. You've attached your wagon onto an incompetent, barely able to function president, and now you're dealing with the repercussions of it. The United States doesn't use as much oil. In Fact of the matter is, if we needed to, we could confiscate that oil here if we needed to in order to ensure that we are straight here. Um, Europe, not so much. And now they got to pay in rubles. And they are like, whoa, whoa, our contract didn't say anything about rubles.
1: Oh, now we want to go by contracts. Now we want to go by contracts. Now contracts mean something. Now Isn't contracts that interesting? When you
2: stole our cash, when you stole our reserves, contracts didn't matter. Now, 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 the letter of the contract says this. Okay, fair enough. Um, look, do you want the oil or not? Yay or nay? Yay or nay? And if you want that oil, you will be paying us in rubles. Robos is what we will be accepting in this transaction. So look, Europe has attached itself to a wagon um, with an unsteady driver. And now they're dealing with the consequences. This is not a situation where the consequences are singularly to the country of, um, we're objecting to. Meaning, to your point, yes, we're sending them money to Ukraine. Yes, we're bleeding the Russians white. And yes, we're also bleeding ourselves White, because we're going to take the economic hit. And in the same way, you got to pay those taxes. Other people are going to be paying higher gas prices, high prices in food, high prices in everything else. And the difficulties that this country is having will be compounded by the geopolitical strategy that they've been enacting. Agreed with you. Thousand percent. But I mean, pay that 50
4: bucks. though.
1: So. Yeah. I mean, like, like, Leith just sent this awesome um graphic in, in our little, we have our like a little fault lines chat. <laughs> For example, I'm going to say the first word and it's what we call them in Russia, versus what we call them here, okay? You have an oligarch. They're called an entrepreneur. Authoritarian. Law and order. Secret police. Undercover cops.
4: (laughs) Crushed crushed dissent.
1: Riot control. Gulags. Prison labor. evasion, Intervention. War crimes. Collateral damage. Weapons. Lethal aid. Offense. I'll add one. Offensive, defensive.
2: Department of War. Yeah. Department of Defense.
1: Yeah. It's amazing exactly. how that changes. Yeah.
2: Amazing mm-hmm. how that changes. Yeah. Look,
1: let's do this. Let's take a break.
2: You guys are listening to Fault Lines. Thomas, Brian Zach.
0: Take some air.
2: <laughs> Back in a moment.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fault Lines.
2: Fault Lines. Welcome back to...
1: Radio Sputnik.
2: Burns. Oh, I thought you were going to do the full thing. You, last time you jumped in, and it was like, okay, I'm oh, doing an oh, et cetera, et cetera.
1: no, I'm trying to get the, the live feed here. Oh,
2: fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. <laughs> Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with my co-host, Farron Franzak, coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. If you guys just so happen to live in the D.C. area, you can catch us on radio at 105.5 FM at 1390 AM. We're also kicking around in Kansas City at 102.9 FM and 104.7 FM. If you guys are digging what Farron and I are putting down whatever platform you're consuming this content on, give us a like and share that audio or video. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can do so with a chat, a tweet, and of course. You can reach us by phone at 202-521-1320. Your engagement helps make the show what it is, so definitely don't be shy. Um, I wasn't here to have the conversation about Biden's trip um, abroad, and I greatly, prodigiously apologize for it. By the same token, I am here for Biden to try to clean it up, and I definitely want to have a conversation about that. I would go so far as to say all the condemnation that is basically taking place over basically what Biden said, calling for regime change in Russia. And by the way, before we get into it, let's play the clip. Let's play the first clip.
5: Ukraine will never be a victory for Russia, for free people refused to live in a world of hopelessness and darkness. We will have a different future, a brighter future, rooted in democracy and principle, hope and light, of decency and dignity, of freedom and possibilities. For God's sake, this man cannot remain power. God bless you all, and may God defend our freedom, and may God protect our
2: truth. Let's stop right there. I feel the same thing about Joe Biden. It's benign, Berliner. That's what he wanted to get across. And even though that wasn't necessarily exact by Kennedy, at the very least, um, Biden didn't even get close to that. And not just not get close to the gravitas and everything else. He ended up with world condemnation after what I would say, saying the quiet part out loud. Yes, people may walk it back in an administration, but at the end of the day, the president of the United States has basically called for regime change in Russia, nuclear powered nation. And not just called for regime change in Russia, I would go so far as to say what Biden said was accurate, was accurate in regards to the combination of U.S. policy going all the way back since the fall of the Soviet Union. It is exactly what Putin believes. He fully believes that the color revolutions that were basically taking place were pushed and inspired by the United States with the objective of getting closer and closer to the Russian border to eventually get to the point where you could do the same in Russia. What Biden said just confirmed everything that from the standpoint of Russia and Moscow, that they believe is going on in regards to U.S. policy. The condemnation for this was swift, and the condemnation came not just from Western or from from Europe, where all of them were giving these kind of veiled, oh, this is inappropriate, oh, we shouldn't be doing this, oh, this is escalatory, et cetera, et cetera. But even in the United States, in the way that the media has been hitting Biden on this, it is weird and astonishing, considering that the media has been on board pretty much everything Biden and the administration has been saying about Putin. And now Biden goes this step, and they're like, whoa, too far. Let's play the clip. Oh, by the way, that wasn't the only gaffe that Biden made when he was abroad. He made several gaffes. This entire trip was a cluster F. Let's play the next clip. This is Biden on chemical weapons, where he basically implied that he would use chemical weapons if chemical weapons were basically being used by Moscow, something that Moscow has no reason to do. Let's play the clip.
1: And to clarify on chemical weapons, could, if chemical weapons were used in Ukraine, would that trigger a military spot response from NATO?
5: It would, be, it would trigger a response in kind, whether or not you're asking whether NATO would cross, but we'd make that decision at the time. We'd make that decision at the time. What does it sound like?
2: He just said there, hey, would you guys use chemical weapons? Well, we'll make the decision at the time on whether or not we're going to use chemical weapons in response. Now, of course, they had to clean that up too. Meaning, if the president of the United States is going to Europe and he's supposed to be this, this Kennedy moment where he's pushing back against artaki and autocracy and et cetera, et cetera, mind you, things that is not entirely true. This is stuff that's a faction of his own head, not necessarily indicative of reality, but nevertheless, that's where his head is. And he is making gaff after gaffe after gaffe on a world stage at a moment when you need clarity. And you need the capability of each leader to understand what the other one is in order to prevent miscalculations. These are nuclear-powered nations that we're dealing with. NATO is a militaristic organization that all of them will kick off if one of them is attacked. Clarity, reality is dramatically important. And do you honestly believe that the president that can't get it right is the guy to stand there and make that speech? There's a certain level of irony in basically saying that Putin shouldn't stay in power when the president who's basically giving that speech also probably shouldn't be in power. Let's play the clip. This is Biden getting hit by reporters for basically saying this. Let's play the clip.
4: Do you believe what you said, that Putin can't remain in power? Or do you now regret saying that because your government has been trying to walk that back? Did your words complicate matters?
5: Well, yes. Three different questions. I'll answer them all. Number one, I'm not walking anything back. The fact of the matter is, I was expressing the moral outrage I felt toward the way Putin is dealing and the actions of this man, just just brutality. Half the children in Ukraine, I just come from being with those families. And, uh, and so, um, but I want to make it clear, I wasn't then, nor am I now, articulating a policy change. I was expressing the moral outrage that I feel, and I make no apologies for it. Personal feelings, sir? Personal, Your personal my, feelings? My personal feelings secondly you asked me about uh well what was the second part? does it
4: complicate the diplomacy of this
5: moment no i don't think it does you know uh, the uh uh the fact is that we're in a situation where uh, um what complicates the situation of the moment is the uh, the escalatory efforts of putin to uh, continue and engage in carnage the kind of behavior that uh that makes the whole world say, "My God, what is this man doing?" That's what complicates things a great deal. And uh, um, but I, I don't think it complicates it at all.
1: Mr. President, uh, let me go
5: to uh, Steve Holland, Reuters. Mr. President,
3: thank you. When you say that, that you're not walking anything back, you do feel that Vladimir Putin should be remained from, r- removed from power. Is that what you're saying? And- no.
5: What I was I was expressing just what I said. I was expressing the moral outrage I felt towards this man. I wasn't articulating a policy change. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, if he continues on this course that he's on, he is going to become a pariah worldwide. And who knows what he come, becomes. Let's at stop home. right there. Let's stop right there. Because that
2: clip was a little bit long. I was expressing my moral outrage and of course the reporter is pushing him pretty hard. Your personal feelings, sir. Yes, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Moral outrage, moral outrage. Here's the catch. Biden said the quiet part out loud. No, there hasn't been a policy change because this is the exact same policy that these guys have been enacting over the past 30 years. That's the catch. The media is shocked by all of this for whatever particular reason. Oh my God, it sounds like Biden is talking about removing Putin from power. But if you think about the steps that have been taken, NATO taking one step after the next, gobbling up 13 nations or 13 states. NATO offering this quote unquote open door policy to Ukraine. NATO, or let's say the US and the West, instrumental in knocking over Ukraine in 2014 and installing a puppet government, all of this, again, on the Russian border. So if it looks like there's this hostile militaristic organization that is creeping closer and closer and closer to your border and is creating all sorts of havoc in one place after the next, color revolutions that are knocking over various governments and whatnot, why wouldn't Moscow look at this situation and think they're trying to overthrow us? This is a long-term strategy. You can look at what was basically taking place in many of the other nations, whether you're looking at the Middle East or anything else with the same plan to create chaos, eventually not go to government. The difference is Russia is not like one of the countries in the Middle East. It is not, again, Iraq. There are all sorts of consequences that are associated with it. I guess my point is what Biden is articulating here is a culmination of a strategy that has basically taken place over decades. The catch is Biden wobbled it, foiled it. Screwed it up on some level and gets world condemnation for screwing it up. Uh, on top of that, it's as if they believe that this is the same world from 2000 where the actions that they take would not necessarily have consequences on us. And what Europe is finding is those consequences are clear. Those consequences are present and those consequences are hitting their citizenry story significantly so. So the question becomes, now what happens? Europe is paying for gas and rubles. Um, Apparently, we think that's going to take place. Otherwise, they're basically just going to go without that um, oil. I'm sorry. Yeah, gas. They're going to go without the gas. You have Germany and many European states hitting records inflation. That's also something that's hitting the United States. The U.S., Biden, is pressing forward with this long-term economic war of attrition that he's dragged the United States and Europe into with the hope of basically destroying the Russian economy, so much so where they would rise up and get rid of Vladimir Putin, something that, again, probably will not happen considering Putin's polling levels um, have gone up, whereas Biden's have gone down. This is our world in context, and we are going to see what, this com- what comes of this. But at the end of the day, the idea that Biden is the guy that is leading this ship and that Europe has been dumb enough to sign on to this particular plan of action that is going to massively impact their own constituencies and the people of those cities, of those states. And you can see it now, even before any of the stuff has really been priced in. You can see it starting now. Not much came from that trip in Europe. We were hearing about all of these sanctions. We were hearing about all of these kind of economic Armageddon type things. It was basically bupkis. And in this very particular situation, the talk, it's not of what Biden was doing in this case. The talk is purely about Biden and his screw-ups. This trip was a massive, massive failure. Baron, what are your thoughts?
1: Um, where to begin? Yeah,
2: it's a lot to take in.
1: Um, I think that, um, one, I, I think we're a complete embarrassment. Let's just put it out there right away. I think we're a complete embarrassment Um, I think that there is a lot as far as let me process this let's take a quick break (laughs) and um, we're also going to be taking your calls as well 202-521-1320 202-521-1320 we're going to take a quick break I'm going to gather myself because again I'm still very angry and we'll be right back
0: fault lines
2: Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal thomas I'm joined with my co-host, Fern Franzak, coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. Fern is going to give us her take in a moment. We're trying to get something resolved. There's been a little bit of changeover in regards to our scheduling. Uh, But nevertheless, we're still going to keep it moving.
1: I'll say it. I messed up. No, we don't. I messed up.
2: There is no I in team, especially not outwardly to the audience. It was... Yeah, it, it wasn't um, an INT. Um, but there's a few ways we can go with this. There's a clip of Peter Ducey going after Joe Biden. We need you to give your takeover. We want you to give your take anyway on the response. Um, but so let's start there. How do you see all of this? as Meaning, Biden took this trip. It was supposed to be the historic trip. He's, you know, in his head, it's... Democracy versus authoritarianism right. with Putin and China, Xi Jinping basically being authoritarianism. Um, Putin has basically invaded Ukraine and Biden is now talking to the world as the standard borough of democracy. That's what he's in. That's what that's what this is supposed to be. And in dealing with his European allies, to put all of these sanctions and everything else on Russia to make it hurt that much worse. Well, that part seemed to go bumpless. And so the only thing you really got was, all right, the president of the United States talking to the world. What are your thoughts?
1: You know, and it's one of these things, too, where I don't know if you folks saw yesterday. They were talking about his cue card.
2: His cue card?
1: No, this is a real thing. Well,
2: you're reading that. No, no, no,
1: no, no. no. The notes that he had with him, the cue cards. Oh, right. The font was like size 17. (laughs) And literally at the top, where you can zoom in and see it, and it says, tough questions on Russia, Q&A. And it even says, like, you know, at the very bottom, you could see, like, stress the point, NATO is more unified than ever. Like, the fact that we have to have it in, like, gigantic, like, slips of paper for this guy, the fact that this guy is saying one thing, doing another, I mean, it's an embarrassment. And I talked a little bit about it yesterday, but then even, again, with with Peter Ducey, Um, If we can cue up again that Peter Doocy soundbite again to just hear it, because this is, oh, oh, we haven't. Okay. Um, This, folks, let's just, let's just recap again really quick when he was in Poland. Okay. If you missed it. So he's in Poland. He, he can't eat a slice of pizza. Which I always thought I was like, Don't are presidents allowed to eat like regular food when they go out. Usually I thought it was always the secret service has to be looking over, seeing what they're eating. I don't know. to yeah, make That's, sure they're not poison. Yeah. Just just my own question. I just realized too, somebody took our fan out of this room. Oh, I'm angry. Oh, did they? Oh, I am angry. Oh,
2: they were they were trying to slight you yo. They were trying to get after it. They was like, they knew Farron uses that fan. They knew if you, they knew you used that fan, Farron. They knew you did it. I have to pay don't hurt go back.
1: I have $50 I have to pay to back to the government, which I don't owe you people a dime. And now if I Um my dog was barking this morning when I left because my neighbor was like, hey, I think your dog's upset. <laughs> and now somebody took my fan, and now we're giving more money to Ukraine. So it's been a top of the morning and Tuesday for you, folks. Um, but yeah, so Biden can't eat pizza. Um But he gets up there like he's he's talking to these soldiers like he's like he's a grandpa that walked outside and can't find the nursing home. And he's saying how when you get to Kiev and you're going to see the people in front of tanks. And it was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on. (laughs) Hang on a second here, buddy. 82nd Airborne. You just told us we're in Poland. Yes. What do you mean when we get to Kiev? Yes. Yes. Um, Then he said he was asked about chemical attacks and whether we would respond. And he said, oh, yeah, we'll respond in kind. Now, respond in kind means we're going to do a chemical attack back. So here is Peter Ducey again doing God's,
2: God's work. work. God's work, God's Peter. Work. <laughs> Peter Doocy. God's work, folks. man doing God's work.
1: And this is the exchange yesterday. And, folks, I wish... You could see his face because Peter Ducey at the end of it is just like, and this is how we all go. Um, take a listen and just, just, just listen.
6: Are you worried that other leaders in the world are going to start to doubt that America is back if some of these big things that you
5: say on the world stage keep getting walked back? What's much getting walked back. It made it sound like just in the last couple of days. Uh, It sounded like you told U.S. troops
7: they were going to Ukraine. It sounded like you said it was possible the U.S. would use a chemical
5: weapon. And it sounded like you were calling for regime change in Russia. And we know... None of the three occurred. None of the three. None part? of the three. Mr. President. You, you interpret the language that way. I was talking to the troops. We we're talking about helping train the troops in that are the, the Ukrainian troops that are in Poland. That's what the context. I sat there with those guys for a couple hours. That's what we talked about. So when you said you're going to see when you're there, you were not intending. To I was referring response. to with being with and talking with the uh, Ukrainian troops who are in Poland. And when you said a chemical weapon used by Russia would trigger a response in kind. It will trigger a significant response. What does that mean? I'm not going to tell you. Why would I tell you? You got to be silly. The world wants to know. The world wants to know a lot of things. I'm not telling them what the response would be. Then then Russia knows the response.
1: Um, so I'm looking at the talking points. It says at the very top, and again, folks, he was holding this so high that you could actually zoom in and see the talking points. And as um, Daddy Blackjack said, Trump's Sharpie points were better than what we were dealing with here. It says at the top, tough Putin Q&A talking points. Okay. First, first, it has a question, and then it has bullet points of how to respond. So the first bullet point on this sheet says, if you weren't advocating for regime change, what did you mean? Can you clarify? The talking points he has there, if you check the Google chat, you can see. He says, it says, bullet point one, I was expressing the moral outrage I felt towards the actions of this man. I was not articulating a change in policy. The second point, Macron said he would have used these something, the UK government suggested it was a problem. Is this now threatening to splinter unity with your NATO allies? Bullet point, no. NATO has never been more united. this This is real. These are his talking points. Tough
2: Putin Q and A talking yes. points. Yes,
1: yeah, <laughs> folks, they this is the leader of the free world. Q talking yeah. points. Yeah, like That's literally, so folks. I I I've seen kindergartners that have better notes than this. I, I was mean, not
2: articulating a change in policy. You. You didn't, you couldn't think of that. Exactly. You, you had to write that down.
1: And then, you. and then again, you just heard with Peter Doocy where <laughs> the this is he's like, you're walking back and he's like, well, what did I say? And he's like, well, you told our troops in Poland they'd be going to Kiev. And he's like, no, I didn't. It's like, sir. It's like, dude, you did. Are we uh, either, either you are literally, and again, I don't mean this in a mean way, but it's like either there's some serious dementia going on or you are the world's worst gaslighter. One or the other? I think
2: it's a little bit of both. I mean, like, because there's nothing to say that those things are mutually exclusive. I mean, it is very possible he is just not altogether there. I mean, like, for God's sake. And then the question becomes, are they being honest about him walking that back? Meaning, is that something that he actually was going to say anyway? And the response of it was just so hair on fire that, hey, we got to walk that back. The president wasn't articulating policy. This is not exactly what we meant, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Meaning, are we certain that he's right about this notion that this wasn't something that he was going to originally say?
1: Well, I mean, the one, the one um, gaffe that I saw yesterday. You remember? You remember we had the Winter Olympics? You know, curling. Mm-hmm. For those that don't know, curling it's where you throw this giant weighted thing in behind you have.
2: That is in the Olympics, but not chess how's that in the
1: olympics i'm sorry i'm sorry there's a I'm lot sorry. of things in the pet olympics peeve, sir. I'm sorry like peeve, we could go on peeve. for days about this <laughs> pet peeve. there there's a there's a a sport where you get in a tube and you just go down it okay right <laughs> <Like, laughs> there's a <laughs> lot of problems we both have about <laughs> right, it right. but all points aside <laughs> curling you know it's where you put this weighted thing down the ice and people are behind it trying to clean up or yeah. whatever that is like what the Biden administration does. Biden is just this weighted rock rolling, barreling down the ice. And people behind him are like, oh, God, <laughs> clean up after him, clean up after him. This is what's happening on a daily basis. Folks, during the Cold War, presidents, the, the, the U.S. president, either here or Russia, did not say Anything remotely bad about each other, not even as much as, hey, your hair looked like crap today. Nothing. We have him calling him in one weekend, a warmonger, a war criminal, a butcher, and then talking about regime change. If we are the country that preaches all about diplomacy, how in the hell can you walk back from that? And that's one of the things where I look at this and it's like, we need to invoke the 25th Amendment because th- we are in a wartime and we have a guy that's literally like, I- I'm done. Right there.
2: We're not at a wartime. We're not at a wartime. I know it seems that way. It feels that way. Like if you're um, looking at media. We're paying for it. So I'm going to
1: say we are.
2: We're definitely paying for a proxy war. Thousand percent. And the media has turned around and is acting as if this country is at war. Thousand percent. And we are willing to fight to the last dead Ukrainian. Thousand percent. Yes. But technically, we're not at war. It feels that way, though. So I feel you. I feel where you're coming from. Uh, But it feels that way. And yeah, to your point, the president needs to be accurate, especially in this context where he's positioned himself at this kind of, you know, eye to eye um, with this kind of nuclear war stuff. I mean, to your point. Yeah, during this, during the Nicole War, they were very specific in regards to the communications that they had. They didn't want to miscommunicate anything, meaning they wanted to ensure, because of the stakes, they, and that the also, other side. They, they also got wanted
1: it. it where nothing was misconstrued. Exactly. So the diplomacy was always there no exactly, matter what. Exactly.
2: Thousand percent, right.
1: Diplomacy was at the forefront of their brains. Not this guy.
2: This guy, I don't know what is in the forefront of his brain. And the fact I mean, of the matter is the fact that you have to have a thing Putin's tough talking points. I... I Excuse hey, me. Excuse hey, Q me, Peter. A, I a. did not advocate a change. I think this is policy. Policy. Yeah. <laughs> I did not advocate a change of policy. Are you insane? Is this really our president? And the, and the, the idea that this guy is calling for the removal of another president is.
1: <sighs> yeah. <sighs> no, One oh, of the things that, that you and I were disagreeing on was. Uh oh. Uh oh. Well, see, hang it? Pat said Kamala or Pelosi would be way worse. Careful what you wish for. Farrah. Exactly. I keep saying it. Yeah, but you know what? I mean, at this point, I think at least Kamala would be a little bit more choice with her words. She'd be more
2: competent. Or at the very least, she'd be more aware. I don't think she has yes. dementia.
1: She I don't think she would be calling him a warmonger or a war criminal. Oh, or, I, I, or a I don't know about that. I don't think she would be. do <laughs> you don't think so? She she laughs at stupid moments because she has zero idea what's going on. Um, But again, I I think that she has the wherewithal wherewithal to know, hey, maybe, you know, because, again, he's Putin so crazy. I think she would know, hey, let's not take a crazy person and push him into a corner and really take the daggers out even more, which is what Biden is doing on a daily basis. And by the way,
2: for that matter, let's not affirm his assertions of the world, meaning Putin's point is, look, you guys are trying to regime change Moscow or Russia. That's what you want. You guys have moved closer and closer and closer to our border. You've knocked over these countries in these color revolutions. You're trying to do the same here. Biden gets out there and confirms exactly what Putin is I mean, at this point, say. I
1: would rather have we're together because we're united and we're united because we're together. <laughs> I would rather <laughs> right. have that than a ah, butcher. <laughs> I didn't say that. I mean, Tucker said last night, he's like, he's a crotchety old grandpa. Yeah. Like, he's just like, where's my soup? You know, that's that's what he is. And again, I this would rather have bread. the roundabout this talking points. And oh, no, but oh, but yeah. So when we were talking about this, though, where you were saying, you know, that how he was in Geneva and yeah. how you wanted the media to be more pressed oh, right, on right, him right, right, right. versus how he is now. See, I think that's two different, two different times. Yeah,
2: for me, the media has been very weird on this. Like back in Geneva, Putin and Biden seem to have this kind of, all right, we're going to try to work to bring down hostilities. And the media wasn't for it at all. They were insane. I mean, like, no, it's I the weirdest that's, thing ever. I don't think
1: the media wanted it to be hostile. I, because remember, Biden, Biden ran on where he was going to be really tough on Putin. Right. And then all of a sudden, he lifts the Nord Stream 2 sanctions. And the media is like, wait a minute. I thought you were going to be tough on Putin. Yeah. And that's where I think the media, at least with him, they have pressed him. And because remember... You have that report where it came out where the media is being really mean to Joe Biden. Yeah, they're they're been really me, mean. But that was after the Geneva And it's thing. like, sir, that's their job. Yeah. You know? Um, they're, and, they're not, and not true, by the way. Look at what they did to Trump for three Trump years. Was, Trump was way worse. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, Putin was at bay. You know, whereas as Biden, I think, um, again, when he ran, I mean, everything was how he was going to look Biden in the face. He was going to be tough. And then all of a sudden, lift eh, left the sanctions. And that's where it's like, whoa. You're saying one thing, doing another, and that's where I think the media was like, what did you mean by this? I thought you were going to be tough, and that's where I think the media actually did a good job asking those questions, and then again here, and I can't even believe I'm saying this because I'm defending the media. <laughs> Who knew? Yeah, you're definitely um, defending him
2: on this one. I think they're insane. Please, no, make your no, point. But,
1: but, and I think, again, where he, everything was just how tough he was going to be, how tough he was going to be. He lifts these sanctions, and the media's like, wait a minute. I thought you were going to be so tough. Then it was all of the walking back and how now he's going to be tough on Putin. But it's when Putin's back is against the wall and he's like, I'm not taking this crap anymore. And it's like, you should have behaved the opposite way. You know, you should have been this way last year and not this year when World War Three is about to break out. And you're literally marching us straight into it like. Let's go, folks. <laughs> you know? It so, is, yeah.
2: The media is very weird to me. And, and we can go to the callers after. But back in Geneva, I, I don't remember if this was before, or after the Nord Stream 2 stuff. I do remember there was also a conflict where it seemed that the pr- relationship between Russia and the United States had gotten just re- greatly unpredictable. And Biden called for the summit. These two come together. And they have this meeting forget, for a few hours. They come out. Initially, Biden is very abrasive about the meeting with Putin. Within a few minutes, it turns into almost saying similar things that Putin is saying, which the media did not accept at all. They understood what he was doing. They didn't like it. It even gets to the point that at the very end, one of the reporters is going after Biden so hard, Biden is snaps at her, you don't understand. And I'm like, yeah, that's right, Biden, get her. Because what he Biden was trying to get across to her is, You and your little tiny job write stories. My job is to keep us out of a larger conflict. And by the way, on that, I supported Biden. I was like, yes, the person who I was with was very muted in regards to whether or not anything was going to come of this. I was, I can't say more naive on it, but at the very least, I was hopeful that there would be some, let's say, modicum of cooperation as they move forward. Well, that has fallen apart monstrously. And now it's the weird space where the media basically agree with Biden on everything he's done up to this point. Like, okay, we're going to pass sanctions on this. Okay, yeah, that's right, Putin. It's Putin's fault. Yeah, that's right, Biden. It's Putin's fault. He's a killer. Yeah, Biden's a killer. Like the entire way through. But on this, again, obvious combination of the strategy, they back away. They're like, whoa, too far, too far. And it's like, why is this too far?
1: Well, and I think the media— well, well, because one is it
2: too honest. No, is that well, what it is? one thing
1: about the media, I will say, even though I was just kind of defending them. But I think at the same time, you know, it's it's pretty easy when you have again, you have Joe Biden saying how he's going to be so tough and then he's not. And the media is like, wait a minute. I mean, what's that's an, on, a, an actual reaction to have. But the media is way too stupid to understand how <laughs> sanctions work. Honestly, they are. They have no idea how sanctions work. So you're They're saying like,
2: they just don't understand what no, like, the of this politics crap. of the stuff like they don't get. OK, Ukraine wasn't taking place in a coup. That's their heads. Right. Or meaning, so from Russia's standpoint, or, they look or
1: like at, or like, oh, when we sanctioned Iraq, like it helped us find the weapons of mass destruction. Right. They're, right. Like that's what they've been. OK, say what we say when we
2: say it. So you're saying they don't understand that the point of sanctions is to undermine a country so bad and just make the population so miserable that they get rid of the leader.
1: They they think that it's a good idea. I guarantee. And, and I'll tell you why. It's It's what I always thought. It's what we were told. I mean that's it's it's what you're 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 honestly like, yeah, the sanctions are working and and, and and you know, again, when I was a young journalist, it was, yeah, whatever the State Department says, they're not gonna lie to me. Why would they lie to me? Oh, honey. I wasn't red pilled yet. You know, so and that's that's where these people they they don't understand how sanctions work. That's when you have a guy like Colonel McGregor come on and he's like, I'm sorry, Russia is going to win this, whether you guys believe it or not. And, and, they're, like, and they're like, <laughs> <laughs> like they're they hemorrhage. I'm
2: just dying. And it's like,
1: yeah, yeah folks, because we're in a we're in reality. Yes. You know, and, and again, sanctions have not worked. Look at places like, you know, and there was there was a one place where I saw this article yesterday where it was like Venezuela becoming the new Cuba. And I was like, <laughs> these people, they don't get it. They do not get it. Like Cuba has been sanctioned to Kingdom Come and they're still like.
3: Still here.
1: Yeah.
2: Still doing medicine. Still yeah. doing education. Yeah. Still sending his doctors to the rest of the world for help.
1: Yeah. And it's, just, it's one of these things where it's just like, folks, wake up. Like, look at the price of gas over in, in Moscow. Nothing's changed yeah. here. We're almost at 10 bucks in California. And but that's because of Putin.
2: It's like five bucks it's here, cause here cause in D.C. Five bucks. here, Like, that's stunning here. Um, but look, let's let's take calls. <sighs> we have Daniel from San Antonio, Texas. Daniel, what's going on my man? how are you doing this morning?
8: Well, um, I wanted to bring on what Kronzek is feeling It's the same way I feel when people complain about high gas prices, like oh, I don't care, and that's because I've seen this uh train about to hit about ten years ago. Mhm explain what you' mean i've seen this i seen it okay, but um, I've seen it happen because in where well, I live in San Antonio there was a proposed commuter train between Austin and San Antonio that was killed uh, about five years ago.
1: I remember covering this, actually, sir. And you know who was the big people behind it? They were the same ones who killed the train to go from Milwaukee to Chicago. Really? It starts with the K and ends with an Oak Brothers. Mm-hmm. Wow. The Coke Brothers, yes.
8: Which, um, which reminds me, you know that um, light rail line that's being built uh, just outside the Beltway north of Washington, D.C.? Is, do you know anybody in the reporting area that reports on local news that can probably dig through the paperwork or something or interview some people? Because I get this feeling that uh, somewhere behind closed doors, vibes are made to slow down and make the construction very um very expensive.
1: Oh, for sure. Well, what I what I know from from covering a lot of that local stuff is a lot of of the grants and the the project um contracts are given to usually whoever their friends are. And there's usually a whole debate period where they, they. I mean, again, the whole point of it is, is to get the cheapest price to build it. But what these cities do is, oh, well, we have to add in this and we have to throw in the, the kitchen sink and we got to throw in this and throw in that. And then again, and then they got this big, big ass contract. And then you find out like, oh, wait a minute, so-and-so is like cousins with so-and-so. And that's like where you get like, the city of Chicago, <laughs> you know, and, it, and it's, and it's honestly a lot of the way these deals are done, but yeah, I mean, th- here's the one problem though with this is that, yeah, you do have reporters that could look into it, but they're not going to pay them and they're not going to let them take a couple days to do some digging because we've got other crap we've got to cover. And that's the, that's the sadness with local news now is that, um, and again, I know cause I was in it, that they're not going to give people time to look at this stuff.
8: Oh, I have one more question. Um, When you were a reporter in Austin, did they favor Zachary Construction like they do in San Antonio? Just out of curiosity.
1: Um, You know, it's been a while. I remember seeing their name come across a couple of times. A lot of it, though... uh, No, actually, no, I do remember, yeah, because when, when this was with the boom, it was back in 2018 where there was the big construction boom and, you know, now with... And actually bookmark Boston too on that as far as gas. Um, But yeah, but there was, I do remember seeing a lot of that, um, especially in the downtown area, as far as the restoration, for example, of the Capitol and stuff like that. So for sure, yes, I do remember that. But with Austin, I don't know if you guys, I don't know if you saw this, um, Austin International Airport has been telling people now to come two to two and a half hours earlier. Now, mind you, Austin was kind of one of those kiss and fly kind of airports. Well, now you've had such a growth in Austin. But they're telling people to come two to two and a half hours earlier because their flight might get canceled because they might not have enough fuel. Because Austin is a hub where they can get fuel for these planes. And now these planes are saying, hey, wherever you're at, make sure you fuel up if you're going to Austin, because you might not have gas there. This is in Texas, folks, the, like, number one producer of oil in our country, and the one big airport there might not be able to fuel you. That is weird. Yeah. Very weird. Um, and, mind you, though, that was on Fox this morning, and mind you, what was Pete Hegseth, Hegseth's reasoning? Pete Hegseth, I swear to God, is the dumbest ass ever. He's like, ah, it's probably because it's run by a bunch of liberals. That's what it is. I'm like, you it dumbass. Just,
2: it's just the liberals that are <laughs> yep, running that's, it. That's why they are to of gas. That's add. it. Totally. But, nailed it. Daniel, thanks, my man. Brave ATL, you are calling early today. Great. What's going on, my man? How's it going, Chocolate City?
9: How's it going, guys? How are you doing this morning? So far,
2: so I bad. could
1: be better, but that's just me. <laughs>
9: we could all be better, right? <laughs> yeah. I have to say, unfortunately, well, fortunately, unfortunately, I don't know. I have to disagree with you guys, but both of you guys reflect giving. Um, the media, mainstream media, too much credit. Jamal, even I'm giving them too much credit. I'm saying I think they're insane, but but go for it. Go, <laughs> go That's for
2: it.
1: Fired.
9: <laughs> no, make your point, my man. What's up? I think, I think even that is too much credit for them. Like I I I, I refuse to believe that they just don't know, or they're just uh, or they're just stupid. Like I, I'm pretty sure I I I, I would be. There was a time when I was willing to believe that maybe some of the younger, um, uh, newer uh, journalists. That- to some of these um, companies were, you know, probably probably uh, wet behind the ears and, you know, still uh, willing to believe these things and said and they believed a lie because they're just so uh, green with it. So you think they know
2: and they're just still going along with this nonsense like they're just oblivious? Gaslighting. Like, yeah, they're gaslighting. are they're gas- see, that would imply that they are smart enough to know, which is why I think Fern's point of love, no, these people actually believe. I'll give you one better. Bernie Sanders was being interviewed by the New I believe it was the New York Times. And the reporter is asking Sanders very specifically, like, well, you were in South America and some of those people were chanting death to America and you stayed there, sir. And Bernie Sanders is like, dude, do you know that the U.S. was paying for death squads to go and overthrow the various governments in South America? Are you insane? Why would they love this country after that? Meaning the reporter didn't know. The reporter was blissfully unaware. He was so in this U.S. context. That he missed the fact that the death squads were not necessarily loved and at the very least frowned upon by the population that was um, at the end of those death squads—knives um, and guns—they didn't know.
9: They didn't know. I say that. In, I would say in some of those cases they're they're uh, will, willingly or woefully ignorant. How does the term go? Um, but I, I believe that just, just for just for example, right. My wife is, my wife has never cared about politics. She doesn't care. Doesn't care about it, right? Of course, everybody got caught up with the whole Trump thing and started caring. Um, my wife, uh, when we're driving and I have you guys on I have you guys playing, she'll hear bits and pieces from you guys. She'll hear bits and pieces from the backstory. And as a result... Who does
1: she like more? <laughs> <laughs> Who does she like more, Brave?
9: That's all that matters.
1: Who does she like more?
9: <laughs>
1: Answer the question, Brave.
9: <laughs> uh, I kind of wonder. <laughs> but, but she's more familiar with you guys because she hears you guys more. But... Um, but but my, my point is that she hears enough She hears enough bits and pieces from these different things that I listen to, um, Kim Iverson. These little different things. Love Kim. Yeah, so my point is that um, these guys work in media, right? It's impossible for them to, especially people that have been around for forever, like Wolf Blitzer, Jake Tapper, and all you. They, they know. that They may not know all of the intricate details, but they know, they make a choice on whether or not they're going to put... Pr- uh, pr- uh, progress their career, right, and, mm-hmm. and and play to the uh and play to the to the empire's narrative. Or if they want to stand up and um, be sidelined, like like Matt Lee, like Matt Lee's been around for more than a decade. He's been around for a long time. Well, and
1: that's where I was saying with the with the mainstream media with these reporters. If you look, a lot of the White House um, press corps are are young reporters because you don't have a lot of older, older reporters that want to follow the president around every single day, day in and out, because I just know myself, that's very, very hard to have a family. Um, And it's very, very hard to keep a family (laughs) when you're, when you're in positions like that, because you're just never there, which is why a lot of these young reporters cut their teeth being in the White House press corps. And that's where I was saying a lot of them don't understand at that point yet that how sanctions work and and, you know, who ends up getting hurt the most and what have you, nor do they have time, I think, to research it, because, you know, again, you're you're literally when the president's awake, you're awake and you're constantly around them. Um, So that's where I was saying that the, I, I think it's these young reporters that don't know. Now, like you said, a Matt Lee where he's like in his 50s and he's just like, I ain't buying it. I've been around, buddy. I'm not buying this. We need more like him. However, it's just
9: what about like what what about like uh we're talking about like uh Aaron Aaron Burnett or um what's her name uh Rachel Maddow um Stephanie Rule. these people uh um what's the guy Brian Stelzer, oh my god oh man Brian yeah yeah
1: Brian Stelter yeah, yeah.
9: Us new people, yeah. These people, there, there's no way they they may not want to admit it because they know their jobs are on the line. But there, there's no way you can convince me ever.
2: Listen, it's hard to convince somebody of something when their job depends on the opposite.
9: It's <laughs> it's,
2: on the opposite. But, the but see, I will
1: tell you though. Like you look at like Don Lemon, Chris Cuomo, Brian Stelter, Jeffrey Tubin. You have all these people that have done really dumb things, and I'm sorry. That's when you know they're dumb. I mean, I'll say this, <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, I, I, I truly believe this, is that these people are so dumb and you, they they know they're a public figure, yet they're doing stupid stuff. And again, maybe it's the power or whatever, but dumb people don't do dumb things like close your laptop and start jerking it. Okay. Like that. He was,
2: <sighs> he had an itch. He had an itch. And I let it go. He had to scratch an itch.
1: Oh, okay, tomorrow. Um, but my, my my point is, is that a lot of these people are are very dumb. I, I truly think that. I mean, and there's, there's for example, like, and I'm not saying this, you know, but like I, I was blessed. I, I won the parent lottery. Like my father always said, there's nothing good that happens between midnight and 4 a.m., you know, and, and that's where you see like with Don Lemon where he's out in public and he's really, really drunk. And I'm not saying that I've never done that, you know, myself or what have you, but I've had instances, like, for example, like Don Lemon, going up in front of a guy and assaulting him and like basically molesting him I mean that's a that's a dumb person who's given power that's a dumb person given power and they think they're like ah I can get away with it it's fine whatever (laughs) not too much I think they're stupid not too much stupid and on that
2: we're gonna take your caller on the next After the Headlines but you guys are listening to Fault Lines Thomas Bronzak back in a moment
0: Fault Lines
2: Live from the divided states of America, precipitously perched at the edge of this resilient and exploited globe. Welcome to your context lens for the American perspective. In the left corner, I'm your ever vigilant, your indefatigable political analyst, Jamaral Thomas.
1: And in the negative corner this morning, because I'm having a really bad Tuesday. My trolls call me Moscow Mary, but I'm your pierogi princess, journalist extraordinaire, Farron Frantzak. That means more likely
2: than not you're listening to fault lines with Thomas and Franza. Right on. all right, we have a caller. so I want to go to the caller before we move it. on. So caller let's see we have Ty from Erlin. Ty. what's going on, my man? How's it going?
1: What's on your mind, sir? Do you owe money to the government like I do? <laughs> 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 this is the first year I've owed government I've owed the government really? money. And it's because of COVID. Wow. Okay. Yeah, everybody has to owe because of COVID. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, we helped you like a little, uh, we gave you some scraps, but give it back. Oh, we got to give that. I want to go to every Ukrainian and be like, where's my money? Where's my money? Pretty much. Zelensky, mind you, they started a petitions because he missed the deadline to be on the, um, up for the Nobel Peace Prize nomination. Yeah. Now they want to do a whole petition to for get that. it back in. I want to go up to him and be like, I'll sign the petition if he gives me my money back. That's more ironic
2: than giving Obama a peace prize. Like, Obama gets up there and gives the number a number one drone striker. Yeah, he gives an, a speech basically saying uh, um, legitimate wars, or wars that are basically okay or necessary wars, while getting the Peace Prize, and then turns around and just drones over and over and over again. Giving Zelensky the Peace Prize after the point where he dragged his country into a war is, uh, like, the irony of it is just breathtaking. Um, but, Ty, what's going on, man? I'm sorry, we, we're running our
10: mouth. <laughs> no, 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 this is good. Um- <laughs> I can't, I can't really defend Biden or any of that, but um, I did want to put out there, you know, just to be devil's advocate a little.
2: Go for it. Devil's advocate on.
10: Yeah, one thing is um, I don't believe, and, and I know a lot of people don't believe, Zelensky's really running the country. I mean, I'm sure he's, you know, doing the diplomatic thing, but they're too far in. Even if he wanted to come back, he couldn't. Um, that's That's one thing that I've always felt, but The biggest thing that I wanted to express is that none of these countries, especially the ones that aren't landlocked, are as cohesive as people make them out to be. So, for example, look at India, look at Australia, look at Pakistan, look at Japan. All of these countries have some type of competition. They're competing over trade routes. They're competing over this. They're competing over that. And just like now, the quadrilateral security dialogue, they're still going despite everything that's going on now, despite the fact that, you know, India has pulled even closer to Russia and and, uh, if everybody's like, oh, we're kind of like sitting on the same side as Russia, kind of, but not saying anything. But secretly behind, you know, behind the back, you're still having these exercises
2: and dialogue. You you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you think of what, Israel, Turkey, India, China, all of these countries are still kind of with diplomatic relations with Russia. I mean, some of them are paying kind of just kind of double hand stuff. But at the end of the day, these countries don't necessarily want to set themselves on fire in the way that Europe is setting itself on fire.
1: Well, if you look at the, the map of what countries have sanctioned Russia, it's just NATO.
2: Yeah, that's all it is. It's, it's basically, you know, yeah. U.S. and It's a and big as club. As
1: in the words of George Carlin, it's a big club and you ain't in it. <laughs> Simple as that.
2: But no, man, I thank you for the comment. And Ty, once again, thank you, my man, Ty from Merlin. But let's do this. Let's get into the headlines. In the news, President Joe Biden on Monday submitted a $5.79 trillion budget, 1000000000000 um, trillion dollar budget plan to Congress that calls for a record peacetime military spending and further aid for Ukraine while raising taxes for billionaires and companies and lowering the government deficits. The president said he was calling for higher defense spending, of course, to strengthen U.S. military and forcefully respond to Russian President Vladimir Putin's aggression against Ukraine with $1 billion in additional support for Ukraine's economic, humanitarian, and security needs. Basically, fighting to the last dead Ukrainian in a proxy war. The House Select Committee investigated the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol on Monday, referred to two more former Trump officials for criminal charges for their refusal to testify. The committee voted 9-0 in favor of referring criminal charges for two former Trump aides, Dan Scavino Jr. and Peter Navarro. Interesting. The recommendation will now be sent to the full House of Representatives for a vote. If their vote passes, the referral will be passed on to the Justice Department. In international news, Ukraine and Russian negotiators met in Turkey for the first face-to-face talks in nearly three weeks with Ukraine seeking a ceasefire without compromising on territory or sovereignty as the forces have pushed Russia back from Kiev. Turkish President Erdogan, well, Tayyip Erdogan, welcomed delegations from both sides at an Istanbul palace saying, quote, stopping this tragedy, unquote, was up to them. Ukrainian television reported that talks had begun with a cold welcome and no handshake. Chilly reception, apparently. China begins its most extensive coronavirus lockdown in nearly two years, Monday, to conduct mass testing and control the growing outbreak in Shanghai as questions are raised about economic toll of the nation's zero-COVID strategy. The CDY lockdown will be conducted in two phases and will be China's most extensive since the central city of Wuhan, where the virus was first detected late 2019, combined its 11 million people to their homes for 76 days early in 2020. Wow. Is that right if it prevents you from having a billion or a million people die of COVID? I mean, that's so extreme. And I guess I I don't know if that would even be tolerated here in the States. In fact, I don't even know if our laws would allow it. In tech news, the price of Bitcoin jumped Monday following a slew of bullish developments for cryptocurrency, even if investors continue to monitor developments on the war in Ukraine and moves by the Federal Reserve. The coin traded above $48,000 for the first time since December 31st. In holiday news, we have National Vietnam War Veterans Day. We have National Mom and Pop Business Owners Day, Karen's um, conference point. Many of those have been shut down at this point. And we have Smoke and Mirrors Day, which is apt, considering what has been taking place in Ukraine and the way the media has been reporting it. Two on the nose. Those are your headlines. You guys are listening to Fault Lines with Thomas and Franz. Yeah, two, two on the nose, to put it mildly. And China, has this, that lockdown is extreme. And there's a few points I want to get to. First, Russia has basically been saying that it is accomplishing its military objectives. The media in the West has now realized, oh wait, our take on this was entirely wrong. And it seems that most of the conflict is taking place in the East. Yeah, good job on that. Good job on that. You it's can only read been, a map. Yeah, it's only been something we've been saying for the past, what, two weeks, that the conflict mainly is in the East. That the objective of the conflict was not to kill civilians, was not to raid cities, was not to take down all of this Ukrainians. It wasn't that. The objective, in many respects, at the very least in the beginning, was to carve off um, and ensure that the Donbass region is separate, that those are independent republics, and to secure them as independent republics, to create a land bridge to Crimea, which in this case um, is taking Marpol, which is basically apparently on the brink of collapse at this point. And the attacks on the various cities Being there in order to keep the Ukrainian military away from the key area of conflict, which is basically the key objectives that they want it to accomplish. Now, the Western media has been reporting this in this kind of weird, awkward way as Russia is not accomplishing the objectives. And now all of a sudden the media is like, hey, it seems that their focus is on the East. How weird. How weird. It's aggravating, right? It's It's aggravating. Yeah.
1: But you know what I want to do? Go for it. I want to take a quick break because I'm going to go into my monologue and I have a special guest coming Mm. on to talk about it. And Oh, that's right. And then we're going to head to um, Caleb Maupin as well, starting at 8.30, who was on Jimmy Dore last night, who killed it. Yes. Um, So let's take a break. We'll be back in two. We're going to talk about my monologue. And let me tell you, I'll give you a hint. What did the five fingers say to the face?
2: Bite. Punch.
1: You clearly don't watch Dave Chappelle.
2: No, I, I haven't watched him in a while. I don't remember that one.
0: <laughs> we'll be back. <laughs> re- Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines
2: Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with my co-host, Farron Franczak, coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C., we have about uh, three or four minutes before we bring on our guests.
1: So I'm not doing my monologue. I'm yeah, not.
2: she's not going to do a monologue. There was a little confusion.
1: Jamarl has ruined my day even more.
2: <laughs> um, no, we're going to have a China guest to come on to talk about basically the lockdown in Shanghai. However, um, she was bringing up something that I do think is very interesting that I definitely wanted to talk about. We didn't get a no, chance to talk, talk about, about it yesterday.
1: Because I had a guest for it and now we're not going to do it. You don't talk anyway, about it at all. Didn't even between us. Oh, OK. Okay. cuz i served it for a special person and my monologue was just taken from me ripped out from underneath me why don't you why, why don't i pay you 50 bucks too along with to the government i'll take it oh i know you will and you lattes, won't even think twice about it
2: lattes cappuccinos all that stuff i'll bring it for the office in order take
1: to. my words take my free speech and <laughs> there you go um do you no. see the world that we're living in folks every day democracy is dying even on this show by the way, I kept
2: telling her, do it, do it, you do it, we'll have time, we'll push the gas. And she was like, no,
1: no, no, Because I'm not I'm going to speed it up in three minutes. And then I had a guest on it, too. No, I'm not going to do it. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. No, you're and not. I know the audience is so sorry, sorry to hear that, too. You're not sorry. It's
2: unfortunate. You're not sorry. Hey, you shouldn't do that at 7.15 or 7.30 or even 7.45. They were both open.
1: Well, my time slot's 8.15 and God forbid we don't go on schedule.
2: Well, look, I was very um open.
1: Because the person wasn't awake at the time, too.
2: Okay. Fair enough. No <laughs> idea what that one means. <laughs> no idea what that means. Um, but look, let's do this. Um I would say the producer can contact our guests a little bit early. Excellent. And so let's do this. Let's get into a conversation. We have Ian Goodrum. Ian, uh, where is it? Okay. Yeah. We have Ian Goodrum. He is a senior editor and columnist at China <laughs> Daily. You can follow Ian on Twitter at e- i s g o o d r u m n. How's it going this morning? You doing all right? Going okay, yeah. How about yourselves? So far, so good. Better that you are with us. Um, I wanted to get, or we wanted to get into this kind of lockdown that basically been taking place. I'll just read the headline. China begins its most extensive coronavirus lockdown in two years Monday to conduct mass testing and control a growing outbreak in Shanghai as questions are raised about the economic toll of the nation's zero-COVID strategy. The citywide lockdown will be conducted in two phases and will be China's most extensive since the central city of Wuhan, where the virus was first detected in late 2019, confined 11 million people to their homes for 76 days. Now, what is going on? I mean, this seems pretty extreme um, for a few cases in the way that they're basically responding to it. Could you give us what's going on on the ground? And is it as, I don't know, extreme as I think it is, as some of the reporting has been talking about? What
11: are your thoughts? Um, I wouldn't say it's extreme. I would say it's, it's kind of the standard response to these localized outbreaks that pop up. We are, we are in the middle of, of the highest uh, daily case count since uh, 2020 when the epidemic was at its height in Wuhan. Um, and in terms of, uh, it, it's only true that it's the most extensive lockdown in terms of population. I think Wuhan still was more, more restrictive um, for a longer period of time. There was a long lockdown in Xi'an, in Shan, Shanxi province, Uh, in northwestern China. And um, there was a seven-day lockdown in Shenzhen in South China. So this is not without precedent, Um, but because Shanghai is the largest city in the country and it's being done in phases, the way Shanghai is is split into two parts by the Huangpu River. And so the side uh, to the east of the Huangpu River is Pudong and the side to the west is Puxi. And they're doing it in phases. So right now, Pudong is in lockdown. I believe April first or April—I can't remember the specifics. Actually,
2: just to check on—can we say Pussy? Can we say uh, producers? Producers?
1: I think in the context of this, Jamal, fair enough. enough. We're okay.
11: Well, well, it's 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 spelled P. It's spelled. It's spelled P U X I, so it's not totally teasing um, Ian. I'm sorry. He thought
1: he was (laughs) was being funny, and he wasn't.
11: (laughs) (laughs) I try to be. I try to be correct with my pronunciation, and so there are some uh, some phonemes do sound do sound alike. So
1: Jamal, why are you the way that you are?
11: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, Ian. Please
1: continue.
11: (laughs) Yeah, it's okay. Uh, Sure. So it's, it's being done in two phases with, with each side of the city being, um, being put into a lockdown for mass testing and for control because Shanghai is now the epicenter in the country. For a while, the, the highest case counts were coming out of Jilin province in Northeastern China. And there are still quite a few cases coming out of there, but now Shanghai, I think today had over 4,000 out of a total of about 6,000. Um, so with, with, Jilin province and Shanghai combined—that's most of the cases that China's been getting. And the rest of the country, um, you know, particularly for me, I'm in Beijing. Everything is normal. We we've gotten um, we've gotten a few cases, but it's been like single-digit counts each day. And then there's been days without any cases. And so um, the biggest change for me is that the the gym has limited hours where it used to be 24 hours. But uh, obviously, in Shanghai and other places that are ha- that are seeing bigger case counts, um, the the restrictions are more extensive. So I mean, it it's like other other lockdowns that we've seen in China where um, typically there is an attempt to make the lockdowns very localized to, to residential communities, um, maybe districts in some extreme cases and, and mass testing for districts and communities. But in the case of Shanghai, because the, the case count is so large and the, the chain of transmission is so extensive uh, that these entire, you know, entire chunks halves of the city are being, are being shut down. Um, as far as the impact of the economy, Uh, There will be an impact, but I mean, the the certain ports and airports and, and key sectors are still in operation with strict epidemic control procedures as they have been in the past. So there will be some slowdown, but I don't think it's going to be grinding to a halt the way some of the apocalyptic headlines are predicting.
1: Now, here in the United States, if the prospect of lockdowns happened again, I think there truly would be a, a complete revolt, civil war. We'd probably nuke ourselves. Who knows what would happen? Um, but as far as the attitudes over there and, you know, with the idea of having to lock down again two years after this whole pandemic started, um, what is the attitude with people? I mean, are they are they... Is it kind of one of those okay? We'll do this and because this is what's you know, necessary, or what's the what's the attitude?
11: It's very easy to get a kind of incomplete picture of what people are thinking if you only tune in to certain communities, particularly the expat community in some of these cities where they are all, you know, they're all on board the let's live with the virus. let's let's give it up. you know, the omicron can't be stopped, et cetera, et cetera. But the fact is, like China has had omicron outbreaks already in Tianjin uh, and other places, and they've been controlled. This particular one, Um, there were just a few transmission chains that, that, that kind of caught everybody off guard, um, and shows that complacency wasn't the answer. Um, but I think there's a difference between, because Shanghai is Shanghai with the exception of the initial stages of the pandemic. And even then Shanghai was not severely affected by the virus, uh, at any point. I think it's different having this kind of situation now after two years of relative normalcy, Um, and, and not as much of a disruption to your everyday life. That's different from lockdown after lockdown, after lockdown, after, you know, kind of like half, half measures and, and, and kind of reluctant mask mandates and reluctant so-called lockdowns, um, people getting frustrated that way. So certainly there are people that are, that are not happy about it. And, and I think as, as was the case in, in, in Xi'an, uh, late last year when there was a lockdown, there are definitely things that the local authorities could have improved on and could have done better. Um, this is providing more, more of a, uh, laboratory for what the approach will be in the future, certainly, but, um, but it's not great if people are being inconvenienced. So in terms of facilitating supply deliveries, in terms of making sure people, um, that are, that are in their homes can get what they need uh, and that the testing and and vaccination infrastructure is maintained at uh, the present rate, and that this can happen with minimal pain to the population, um, that's that's the priority. And so this the scale of this is is unprecedented, but it also serves as as an instructive uh, an instructive moment. So I mean, obviously the hope is that there isn't a situation like this again. But if there is, uh, I think there will be a lot more information to work off.
2: I'm curious, people who were some of the reports mentioned people um, not able to get medical treatment, let's say people who on dialysis or who had some kind of major illness or something to that effect. Are there are there's any credibility associated with those? I mean, some people were turned away. I mean, there was a report I think New York Times was saying somebody with asthma being turned away from the hospital. And of course they're using this as indicative of a trend, not necessarily a singular individual. Um but what is what's on the ground from the standpoint of medical issues and everything else? Are people able to get Treatments and whatnot. I mean, how extensive is the lockdown and shutdown?
11: Yeah, I mean that did happen. There, it was actually a nurse at a hospital who couldn't get into her hospital because of the the cover protocols, and and um, and there were there were a few cases of this in in Xi'an as well, where where pregnant women weren't allowed in, and and unfortunately miscarried as a result. So I think I think that those are really awful incidents and really awful stories. But I, it must be emphasized, and it's not, it wasn't talked about at all in the case of Xi'an. I I doubt it's being talked about here is that hospitals have set up green channels for people that need emergency services or they're meant to under the the local epidemic prevention protocols if a hospital's not doing that then they're not following the law they're not they're violating the protocols that have been set up by the local authorities so it's it's an issue that needs to be handled on a case by case basis when i say case i mean hospitals because hospitals are supposed to have set up um, these, like I said, so-called green channels that facilitate people in emergency situations or people that need urgent medical attention or medical attention at all to, to not be, you know, to, to not, to not be turned away because of this, uh, because of this epidemic and that there should be a cordoning off of whatever centralized quarantine or isolation treatments that hospitals are doing should be separate from the people that are there for, uh, ailments not related to COVID-19. So that's certainly, uh, an issue and certainly a problem um, that needs to be addressed. But I, I, I think you're getting at this a little bit, so I'll I'll affirm what you're saying is that it, it is these are unfortunate incidents, but they they can't be.
2: They're not mandated by state. Basically, this is not a situation where the government itself is mandating this. The law is one thing; whether they follow it is something else. And these cases are just kind of individual scenarios.
11: Sure. Yeah. And so, like these these incidents are tragic. Um, and they should be uh, re- uh, me- uh, reme—sorry, uh, uh, ameliorated. I guess is what the word I was going for. Um, but they—they they can't be used to to make a statement on the the situation for every person in a city of 22 million people. So, or I think 20, 24 at last count. Um, so we have to be careful about talking when we talk about these things. It's not to say we can't talk about them. I mean, Chinese media is talking about it. People are talking about it on Chinese social media. There are people complaining. Uh, and rightly so. So this is not a situation where people are not being allowed to voice their frustrations or vent vent their issues. Um but on the whole, I would say there's an understanding that, despite the claims that omicron is is milder and and it, Omicron is the way out, I think we're seeing with a lot of the reinfection rates, uh, a lot of the instance instances of long covid symptoms, these these debilitating symptoms over time, um and the you know, the fact that these waves have ebbs and flows and just because it's an ebb right now, I think a lot of countries are saying, well, you know, time to get back to normal as they did before. And then another wave comes and people uh, suddenly realize that this virus has not gone away just because we want it to. Um, so I think there is an understanding of that. But yes, of course, there's people that are that are uh, not 100% happy with what's going on. But I would say on the whole, people understand the need for it, even if there are, as you say, incidents that get a lot of attention.
1: You know, I want to pivot to the economy with China right now because economists, and this is coming out of Forbes, saying that economists everywhere are obsessed with whether China can make this year's 5.5% gross domestic product target. Um, They're saying that the, you know, um, $46 they say refers to how much the GDP per month. Hong Kong economist is Zhang Michael Song thinks COVID policies are costing China uh, also talking about, you know, as far as food production and that they're expecting a lot of shortages because of the COVID lockdowns. Um, is that something that's kind of going around, um, going around, you know, the, the China as far as people expecting that to happen?
11: I would say no. I mean, it's it's again, it's hard to say not being in Shanghai or not being in a place that's really had a severe lockdown. You know, I know people in Shanghai. I know people in Shenzhen. I know some people in Xi'an as well who, who talked about it and, 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 you know, um, again, varying opinions on, on the situations there. Uh, but Beijing has remained relatively unscathed since, uh, June, 2020, which was our last like pronounced local outbreak. So me personally, I can't say that I have experienced anything that would indicate, you know, broad economic shortages or issues like that. Um, there, ha- you know, there were, there were some instances of mass people like panic buying and, and groceries and things like that. And some shortages on a, on a local basis when the, uh, when there was some uncertainty about what the future was going to look like, the immediate future was going to look like for the people in the city. But as far as like the, the broader perspective, the economic perspective there, um, I can't, I, I can't say that I would, I would anticipate that. I mean, the 5.5% GDP year on year growth rate was a pretty modest, was a pretty modest target. Uh, all things considered, I believe last year it was 6.5 and then the actual figure ended up being around 8.1. So in, in the sense of setting goals, the, the Chinese government tends to, Underpromise and overdeliver. So they set reasonable goals and then tend to overdeliver on them because they were more, you know measured um, in their in their expectations. For me, I think, I'm judging on past performance here. I'm judging on what we've seen over the last two years. This is a this is a very serious situation. Don't get me wrong, but it's serious in 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 the Chinese sense, which is to say that we're looking at case counts of of a few thousand a day, as opposed to tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands a day. So it is still to me, and and the fact that new cases have remained steady, uh, they haven't gone down as much as I would like to see, obviously, but but they haven't skyrocketed the way you might expect with exponential uh, spread. So to my mind, I would say that it's worth seeing what happens before we make these kinds of doom and gloom pronouncements and and expectations of, of apocalypse. Um, it's, I don't, I don't see any reason why this won't be contained in a few weeks time. And then we can see how the economy reacts, uh, how the economy recovers you know, it, it's, it's also possible that a, that a wave of consumption or, or uh, you know, explosion of demand happens as a result of, of these things. And so you get a lot of pent-up expectations for, for consumption and demand. And so the economy uh, takes a hit, but not one so large as to, as to totally uh, imbalance expectations uh, for this year.
2: And to your point, I mean, China has weathered the storm actually quite well. I mean, despite these lockdowns, or maybe because of these lockdowns, um. So, look, it's a fair point. It seems extreme. By the same token, um, it depends on what you care about more. Um, the U.S. was less extreme and what ended up with a million dead. China was more extreme and ended up with less. Uh, but, Ian, where can people find your content?
11: Uh, I'm on Twitter, posting sporadically. Uh, you gave my you gave my handle out. So, is Goodrum just my first initial, middle initial, and last name? Uh, I write for China Daily, and, and the stuff that I write tends to also be carried by People's World, or sometimes I write for People's World um, on my own, and sometimes I write for CGTN as well. So you can search my name and any of those outlets, and you can find uh, whatever my most recent musings are on any given to- – well, not any given topic, but the the big topics, let's say.
2: No, totally understand. Ian, thank you for this, man. I really do appreciate it. Um, I hit Ian up last night, and he was nice enough to come on for this morning. The voice that you guys are listening to is in – Goodrum, its senior editor and columnist at China Daily. You can also follow him on Twitter at IS Goodrum. You guys are listening to Fault Lines, Thomas Franzak. We'll be back in a moment.
0: Fault Lines. Fault Lines.
1: Welcome back to Fault Lines. I'm Farron Franz. I care with my co-host Jamar Thomas, and you are listening to Radio Sputnik. I want to dive right into this topic because uh, I don't want to keep my friend and colleague waiting here. Um, but this year, I'm sorry, 2021, folks, this is, you're going to get real mad. The average bonuses on Wall Street jumped 20% last year to the highest level since 2006. This is from the New York State Comptroller. The average payout for security workers in New York in 2021, $257,500. That was the average bonus that Wall Street saw. The average bonus paid up, climbed 20%. How was it that in a time of COVID, when everything shut down, nobody's working and people are struggling, these pigs on Wall Street are making hella bonuses that we've never seen before. So to have a conversation about this, we're bringing in my friend and colleague, Caleb Maupin. He's an acclaimed speaker, writer, journalist, and political analyst. He's traveled extensively in the Middle East and in Latin America. He was involved in the Occupy Wall Street movement from its early planning stages and has even been involved in many struggles for social justice. Caleb's speaking and writing career was built on the foundation of political activism, and he has stood his ground on issues of economic justice and is committed to building a new America for working families. Caleb Maupin, saw you on Jimmy Dore last night. You killed it. How you doing this morning, my friend?
6: I'm great. How are you?
1: Well, I'm not happy about Wall Street, but uh, we we all could be better. But, you know, I wanted to bring you on, especially as, you know, kind of one of those initial founding Occupy Wall Street movement members. How did you feel when you saw this article pop up?
6: Well, in a way, it confirms what actually makes sense, which is that when you have a crisis, uh, you have uh, monopolism. And uh, the biggest corporations tend to do very well. And if you look at it, I mean, Jeff Bezos has done very well coming out of the pandemic. Amazon has soared ahead. Uh, The Walton family that own Walmart, they did very well from the pandemic. And, you know, it centralized their monopoly. And that some of the corporations, uh, the the biggest ones, have actually kind of benefited from the demolition of our economy that we've witnessed. Uh, That's what tends to happen when, uh, you know, when you have a storm, I guess, uh, you know, the, the strongest ones survive and maximize their their wealth, and the rest of the economy kind of falls in. And that's what we're experiencing. And that's why uh, why the pandemic has kind of exacerbated a lot of the inequality that, that we see in our society. Uh, but it shouldn't really be surprising at the end of the day because, uh, because, you know, that's kind of how our economy is set up to work. Uh, the rich get richer, the poor get poorer.
2: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, do you think there are going to be any consequences associated with this? I mean, Biden comes out with his tax plan, apparently. I mean, but again, Biden has also put out What, $15 an hour minimum wage? Biden has put out the BBB. Many of these things, none of them came to fruition. Um, Do you think this is going to be one of those things that don't come to fruition? And if so, what does the fact that these guys are doing gangbusters actually
6: mean? Sure. Well, I mean, Biden, you know, he gave his first, I mean, it wasn't his State of the Union. It was his joint address to Congress last year. And it was a very radical, uh, almost left-wing speech. I mean, it almost sounded like something Bernie Sanders would give or something. But as you pointed out, very little of that got implemented. That was all just kind of theater. Uh, that was just to, you know, kind of kind of reassure everybody that uh, that Trump was out and he was going to save the day. Uh, but if you look at what the Biden administration has actually presided over, it's just been lots of inflation. Uh, you know, the price of fuel going up, the price of uh, you know the price of food going up. Uh, working families being crunched harder and harder. And uh, now he's discovered that rather than actually implementing policies that will resolve this, he can just blame it all on Russia. It's all Russia's fault. Uh, so if you look at it, I, I really, I I mean, again, I hear a lot of nice words from the Biden administration, but not much serious action uh, to really improve things. Uh, the economy is largely getting worse. Uh, and uh, And uh, I guess the way Biden seems to compensate for it is with international tension.
1: Now, Caleb, I want to talk a little bit about the Center for Political Innovation, because I've been really, really getting into you guys a lot. Um, I I would have loved to have come down to Austin, but gas prices and all that. Uh, <laughs> but I, I used to live in Austin. Those so would have been a great a great reunion for me as well. But you guys recently just had a big conference in Austin. Um, but one of the things that you've been talking about more and more as I've been watching and then reading your books and watching your lectures, especially um, at night, Caleb kind of has these talk times where he answers questions, which I think is great because you talk a lot about socialism and communism and the different things that... Um, are like the the rumors that are out there and the reasons why there's these these bad rumors about it is because they don't want you to see some of the good things that come out of it. But especially though your Center for Political Innovation, um, for those that are interested, it's, it's CPIUSA.org. You can check it out. But you guys kind of have an economic bill of rights. And that's one of the things after reading it, I was like, wow, this is actually, this actually would work, uh, you know, because it's a way to keep it where you wouldn't be seeing these rich, and I'll call them oligarchs here. They're not entrepreneurs. They're oligarchs here. Um, But kind of explain a little bit about that and and kind of how you came to thinking of putting this whole Economic Bill of Rights together.
6: Well, uh, the Economic Bill of Rights was proposed by Franklin Delano Roosevelt in his final State of the Union speech before he died Uh, during the Second World War. He gave his last State of the Union speech and he said, "We have a, a bill of rights in this country for, you know, free speech, freedom of religion, freedom of assembly. Uh, we should have an economic bill of rights: the right to a job, the right to housing. Uh, you know, and if you if you read the economic bill of rights that Roosevelt proposed, uh, it was you know it was very it was." very something that would very much improve the lives of Americans. And so, you know, the center for political innovation is a think tank uh, that we put together. We had a great conference in Austin uh, and we we're looking to do it again in Chicago uh, pretty soon. And
1: I might just be there. That's my hometown.
6: <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Very good. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, you know, we, we think that there's really, we've been taught that it's very un-American to believe in socialism, right? This is some kind of foreign ideology. and that, You know, and that's really not the truth. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the first person to use the word socialism in the English language was Robert Owen. And Robert Owen, he built a socialist community in Indiana called New Harmony. Uh, and, uh, you know, Karl Marx, he wrote for the New York Tribune newspaper, which was the Republican Party newspaper of New York City. And during the Civil War, Karl Marx wrote, you know, articles hailing hailing Abraham Lincoln and saying he was the single-minded son of the working class rescuing an enchained race uh, and you know hailing you know Karl Marx uh Karl Marx was hailing Lincoln Lincoln actually had a communist general in the Union Army named August Willick uh August Willick was a, was a general in the Union Army leading soldiers into battle during the Civil War in the battle against slavery and uh and he was also a close friend of Marx and, you know, a German-born guy who was, was very much, you know, a, a communist and also a leader of the Union Army during the Civil War. So the idea that, that these ideas are somehow foreign to us or un-American, I think that's just, just, just not the case. I mean, I think, you know, now, obviously, I think when the United States does move towards socialism, it will be an American form of it. It won't be, you know, we're never going to adopt the Russian system or the Cuban system or the Chinese system. We're going to do it our own way. And I think that there's definitely going to have to be room for entrepreneurship. You know, I mean, if you look at the socialist countries of the world today, like China, like Vietnam, you know, they have adjusted their socialist system to include small business owners, to include, you know, entrepreneurship, micro-entrepreneurship programs. Uh, some members of our organization recently went to Nicaragua and kind of marveled at the, the, the programs they have there, where the, the Sandinista government has worked really hard to cultivate small businesses and entrepreneurship on the part of the population as part of their overall vision of the state, you know, controlling the economy and unleashing growth. Um, So, you know, I mean, there's 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 no reason to to think that these ideas are foreign. I mean, I think that there's there's a lot of socialism in American history.
2: Caleb, there is a break, apparently, um, the meeting that's taken place in Istanbul between, um, let's say, Russia and Ukraine. And so they've uh, broken, and I'm just going to read it. I'm going to get your take on it. Russia has agreed to meet Kiev halfway and will allow a meeting of its leaders to be held on the same day that the final version of a peace treaty is pre-approved by the two nations' foreign ministers, Moscow top negotiators said on Tuesday after a new round of talks in Istanbul. Previously, Moscow had insisted that the meeting between Russian President Vladimir Putin and his Ukrainian counterpart, Vladimir Zelensky, could only be set after the deal would be finalized. Um, Medinsky described the talks in Turkey as constructive and said the delegation had received a clear outline position on what Kiev sought to achieve. The reading proposal, which includes Ukraine's pledge to remain a neutral nation and that it would not obtain weapons of mass destruction, including nuclear weapons will be released, um, would be relayed to Vladimir Putin, he said. What is your take on that? I mean, this is somewhat of a change in the position on some level, maybe. I mean, it's modest on some level, but it is a change. Um... Did you think anything was going to take place in these peace talks? And do you think this is, I guess, a significant development in general? What are your thoughts?
6: Well, I think that there's a gap uh, between most of the NATO countries and the United States because it's pretty clear that the policy of the United States uh, is to try and create a long-term conflict in Ukraine. They want to get Russia bogged down. They've had CIA and uh, National Guard people in Ukraine – for a long time, training militia forces. They want this to be a, a long-term conflict. Whereas, I think the NATO countries on the European mainland—France, Germany—they uh, are at this point quite frustrated with Biden. They didn't approve of the remarks he recently made, where he said that uh, you know that that you know that, that he wanted to topple the Russian president. And I think that on the European mainland, there's a feeling like this can end, and that that Zelensky is getting pressure from from the European mainland countries to to possibly negotiate a peace and that's that's what's hopeful right because i mean i'm just like anybody else i want the fighting to end i want you know people to stop dying i want i want things to come to an end um and if You know, the rights of the people in Lugansk and Donetsk can be recognized and their ability to live in peace can be recognized and the shelling can end and and they can be, you know, granted their right to independence since Ukraine doesn't want to implement the Minsk Accords and let them, you know, be part of Ukraine. Uh, And if, you know, Ukraine can agree to stop piling U.S. weapons into Kiev, I think this can end very quickly. I I really don't think Russia wants to continue its military intervention in Ukraine. I think Russia at this point uh, is doing what they feel they have to do as a result of years and years and years of provocations, threats, shelling, attacks on the people of the eastern regions, uh, etc., and um, my hope is that, is that some kind of peace can be signed immediately. Um, and that, that would be really a great move. Um, my fear is that it's very clear there are forces in the United States that don't want that. They, they are following the Cold War strategy of Zbigniew Brzezinski. Uh, they want to, you know, they, Brzezinski bragged that in Afghanistan he called it the Afghan trap. And he said that he had given the Soviet Union their Vietnam. Uh, I think that that's what that's what some people in the Biden administration want to do. They want to make give 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 Russia a Vietnam and Ukraine and just keep this going as long as possible and and weaken Russia uh, that way. And I, I really don't think that's good for the Ukrainian people. And that also reveals a level of um, I guess you could say uh, disingenuous words, because if you really care about the Ukrainian people, why would you want to turn their homeland into a bloody battlefield uh, just to hurt Russia? Uh, that wouldn't be the correct thing. If you really care about the Ukrainian people, you'd want the fighting to end. You'd want to negotiate a peace.
2: Exactly. And to me, it's, you know, bleed Russia white, basically, you know, get to the point of fight to the last dead Ukrainian. And it's kind of weird proxy war with the United States, even in the way the media has kind of organized itself. I'm um, to kind of back the agenda. I want to play this clip. This is Biden in Ukraine. And I want to get your take. Um, because it sounds like to me that Biden is basically saying the quiet part out loud that this is indeed was US strategy. This has been the culmination of U.S. strategy going back for 20, 30 years, and that Biden basically just spoiled uh, screwed it up. A split clip.
5: Ukraine will never be a victory for Russia. For free people refused to live in a world of hopelessness and darkness. We will have a different future, a brighter future, rooted in democracy and principle, hope and light of decency and dignity, of freedom and possibilities. For God's sake, this man cannot remain in power. God bless you all. And may God defend our freedom. And may God protect our troops. Hope
2: and light, freedom and justice, apples and oranges. Um, Kayla, who... Uh, Is this just U.S. policy? I mean, to me, Biden just said the quiet part out loud and the flipping out of Europe and everything else. They're like, oh, my God, I can't believe you said that. Well, what is your take on this? I mean, to me, this is historically, it makes sense in a historical context in regards to the way NATO has expanded, the knocking over of Ukraine, the pressuring, like you said, the mercenaries and the money that was basically dumped into that country being on Russia's border, um, the color revolutions that were taking place in um, old Soviet republics. What is your thought on this? Well, I think that
6: the Biden administration right now wants to pretend that this was just uh, Joe being emotional and he got off script and he's an old man. He's sleepy Joe. I don't think that's the case at all. I think that they're trying to talk out of both sides of their mouth. They want to issue threats. They want to escalate things on the one hand. and On the other hand, they want deniability. They want the ability to say, oh, that was just that's the policy of the Biden administration. Well, look, if, if Joe Biden. U.S. foreign policy, and he's threatening to overthrow governments and topple leaders uh, when he doesn't actually mean that. Uh, He's incompetent, and he shouldn't be in office. He should step down. But I don't think that's the case. I think this is a a classic, classic Washington doublespeak. They want to issue threats against Russia, but they also want to have deniability. And like I said, while the European mainland, I think, wants to negotiate a peace, I think that the United States and probably some forces in Britain. Want to keep this going, um, and and that is really really sinister. And look, when it really gets down to it, who runs the world? I mean, when you talk about Wall Street, uh, we're talking about big energy companies, big oil and gas companies, Exxon Mobil. Uh, is basically that's Chase Bank. I mean, J.P. Morgan Chase. Uh, that's you know ExxonMobil, That's the Rockefellers. Uh, that's the Morgans. Uh, you know, and that's 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 the biggest bank on Wall Street. Uh, you've also got HSBC Bank, which is basically BP, British Petroleum. Um, and those two, you know, big corporations, and you can throw Chevron uh, and and uh, and and other big oil companies in there. Uh, you've got you've got the super major corporations that dominate the world. And they see Russia as a competitor. You know, when Russia was poor in the 1990s, uh, Bill Clinton got along with them quite well. And, you know, Boris was in office and they were, you know, demolishing the economy of Russia and it was getting poorer and, and et cetera. But when when Putin got into office, he restructured Russia's economy around state controlled natural gas and oil uh, you know he created Gazprom and Rosneft these two state controlled energy companies that are that are you know massive and he restructured the economy to be you know centered around government controlled oil and gas and by doing so he rebuilt Russia's economy he made Russia's economy strong once again uh, kind of you know saved the country from the nightmare of the fall of the Soviet Union uh but in doing so he also suddenly made Russia a competitor with Wall Street once again and that's when all of a sudden the the hostility to Russia uh began once again and uh, and that's really at the end of the day what's driving it they see Russia as a competitor on the oil and gas market
1: now Caleb um I've been watching a lot like I said when i when I deep dive into you know topics i I really deep dive I'm like a complete nerd about it and for those that um have haven't, don't know really too much about Caleb Maupin. You can see his YouTube, Caleb Maupin TV, where he has a lot of lectures. And one lecture that really stuck out to me that I watched of yours was The Fall of Rome, where you talked about, you know, how Rome was this society where it was built on slavery. And I actually talked about this last week because I was like, I was like, my mind was blown about this lecture that you gave. But it was, you know, where you said how Rome was built on slavery and whereas the other parts of the world were built on feudalism and Rome would go and basically take the natural resources of other areas and, you know, all roads led back to Rome and how eventually that kind of government collapsed. And you, it is very comparable to the United States. You see how we're not making anything here. You see how we're going to other countries, taking their natural resources or having them buy from us. And you just see where the, the country could end up collapsing very much like the, in the style of the fall of Rome. And you explain it, you know, just, and again, like history doesn't repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme as it says. Um Kind of your thoughts of where you're seeing the United States now in the sense of Ukraine, because we just have it now where Biden wants to give another one billion dollars to Ukraine. you know, don't mind all the homeless tent cities around the country or the opioid epidemic or Medicare for all or you know uh, having it where kids don't go to bed hungry. you know, never mind that, but Ukraine. Um, do you see us inching closer and closer to what you talked about in that lecture?
6: Sure. Well, I think one of the major aspects of the fall of Rome was that slavery is a very inefficient system. And the Roman Empire maintained slavery, uh, which is very inefficient. And the entire time their empire was expanding around the world, their ability to produce goods was decreasing. Uh, their ability to grow their own crops was decreasing. Their ability to produce, you know, metal tools and extract minerals through mining was, in, was decreasing. And they were becoming less and less economically viable themselves while kind of making up for it by going around the world plundering people. And eventually, that leads to kind of a fallout. And yes, you can make that analogy. I mean, obviously, we're in very different times. Right. (laughs) Duction, et cetera. But yes, uh, in, in a lot of ways, I think that is what's happening with the United States. And it's this mode of dominating the trade routes, you know, like they said, all roads lead to Rome, meaning that Rome was the global middleman in in trade. You couldn't trade unless you went through them. And uh, at the end of the day, that seems to be how, you know, the World Trade Organization, the IMF, the World Bank, you know, these institutions function that way. They don't like the BRICS, uh, they don't like the Belt and Road Initiative from China. They don't like Russia's Eurasian Economic Union. Uh, they don't like the Alternative Bank of Latin America, the Alba, ALBA Bolivarian Alternative for Latin America. They want to be the global middleman, uh, and at the end of the day, uh, that's not a very good policy of doing things. Our, you know, our roads here in the United States are crumbling. Uh, you know, we we have a situation where the next generation is facing a lifetime of low wage, short term service sector jobs. Uh, this is not a good future for average Americans. And and our leaders seem to be focused on building up and dominating this this world financial system while Americans are being left behind. And this, again, is leading to some big problems in our country, no doubt about it.
2: I agree with you on this. I mean, basically, our system, I think, requires buy-in. Um, The people in this country need to believe that they are pulling or part of the country itself. And if you get a situation where you feel that there are certain people who are making ends meet in a way that is just insane. Like, Fern did the thing this morning where she was showing the Wall Street bonuses. I mean, we were talking about it early on. But that's obscene. You have 10 cities simultaneously with the Wall Street billionaire basically stepping over the homeless person to get into his yacht. And so it's like, what do you think this basically ends up being? I mean, is this one of those situations where things just continuously gets worse and worse until there's this kind of turn of the worm where the system itself changes? Um, or do you see there's a turn in this um, system? And, and I'm asking this question in somewhat of a weird way. But do you think there's a turn that has to come in the way that we've basically been operating? Or could this get worse? I mean, what are your thoughts? I mean, is propaganda to such a degree that it can basically um, smooth the roof rough edges of the way that people are. I'm living.
6: I think that the way they are ensuring that the United States continues to move down this trajectory toward lower wages and a more authoritarian government. Uh, I, I talked to, last night with Jimmy Dore about a low wage police state. Uh, they're they are playing sections of the population against each other. It's red states versus blue states. It's uh, urban folks versus rural folks. Uh, its It's one demographic against another demographic. And by kind of Getting Americans to think that other Americans are the problem, other working class Americans are the problem, that one section of the population can only gain at the expense of another section of the population and vice versa, Uh, that's how they are ensuring that they can continue to move ahead with austerity and the decline of living standards here in the United States. And what they're afraid of is any notion of populism, any notion of, you know, what we talked about at Occupy Wall Street, 99% and 1%. Uh, any notion of that is kind of a threat to this trajectory. And uh, and that is ultimately what could change things. If there could be a notion that, you know, that that all American working families of different backgrounds have an interest in standing up to Wall Street and restructuring the economy, things could really change. Um, and you know, a lot of the left is really into this cancel culture. A lot of the right is into you know, anti-immigrant demagogy and, and hostility toward, toward different demographics of society and supporting police state repression. There, you know, and there's a way of, of keeping the population divided, using one section of the population against the other. And if that can be overcome you know, and we can start to see a common destiny for the American working class, I think things could really change and we could actually roll back the trajectory we're currently headed on.
1: Caleb, we have a caller on the line. We have Rodriguez in Bethesda who has a really, really great question for you. Rodriguez, go ahead and ask Caleb your question.
12: Yeah, I don't know if they've been able to see the the example of the president uh, that is from the left in Mexico. He has been able to propel... The the lowest classes by by doing scholarships by doing monthly um, uh, stipends to seniors he implemented a pension. He's been a leader for thirty years, a social leader. Finally, he became president. He's one of the Latin American presidents that didn't side with the West to sanction Russia, and not many people are talking about them, about him. and And, and last time I was listening to the radio, this station too. And they were saying, you know, uh, India, India is not siding with the West. But we have it right in the border, south of the border, how he's acting against the corporate interests of the big banks in Mexico. They were not paying taxes. Walmart was not paying taxes. He implemented the law and started cashing in and was one of the leaders that didn't get any funding from the IMF World Bank during the pandemic is It's also true that Mexico gets a lot of support from most of the people here sending money to our relatives. but but what he's doing is impressive. he 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 created a new a new international airport in mexico city and and the focus is in infrastructure and trying to to bring up what the right wing governments in the last thirty years have destroyed in mexico. and and it's a very, very interesting case to study. And I would like to see if, if more people are aware of this. What's happening down down there?
1: Rodriguez and Bethesda, thank you. Great question, Caleb. Your thoughts? Why aren't we talking about Mexico?
6: <laughs> yeah, well, I'm I'm quite an admirer of the current pre- president of Mexico. I mean, he leads a coalition. Uh, it's you know what you could call a popular front. You know, there are there are different parties and different forces in it, but you know, Amlo, he he ran in many different elections, and many times it was stolen from him. I mean, there was fraud to prevent him from getting elected. Uh, He kind of emerged in politics in Mexico after the kind of rebellion of, of teachers, the kind of the teacher's strike that shook Oaxaca. And, uh, he's definitely a populist and he is definitely somebody who advocates a more independent Mexico and is more concerned about economic justice than many of the previous administrations we've seen. Um, and I think he's, he's trying his best, uh, to try and move Mexico away from some of the free trade policies that have just devastated it over the course of the nineties, the eighties. The I mean, Mexico was just looted, uh, looted by wall street. Um, you know, And I know that, that his part, his, his coalition, you know, Morena is the name of his coalition. It has a lot of different forces in it. Um, you know, uh, probably the party that, that is in his coalition that's most in line with how I think, see things would be what's called it was the, the PT or the, the Workers' Party of uh, Mexico, which, which comes out of, you know, comes out of popular struggles and such. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I think he's leading Mexico in a, in a better direction than it's been going for a long time. Uh, but these things are not clear. But it's also important to remember that at the end of the day, uh, you know the military and the policing agencies have a lot of power in any country, and those entities are very much trained and set up and funded and and backed by the united states and And so, as much as he's trying to, to do things you know his way and push for a more independent Mexico, he's still got a police, a military apparatus, et etc, that is not necessarily on his side and is very closely connected to Washington.
1: Uh, You know, we got about two minutes left, Caleb. And I want to talk because the other night you were talking about Mumia Abu Jamal and how as a kid it really inspired you because, you, like I said, I watch all your lives. And you were talking about how it was a Mennonite kid down the street from you where they went to go protest um, him being under the death penalty and his execution. And all of you guys kind of came together and were able to stop it. And you brought up a great point about how society likes to divide people. And that's probably one of the worst things as far as uniting, um, I guess you could say like a workers party or uniting people to rise up, kind of uh, elaborate on that. Cause I thought it was such an interesting point in what you made on that. We got about a minute and a half.
6: Oh, sure. Well, it's just, you know, I mean, in 1995, Mumia Abu-Jamal was facing the death penalty and there was a wide swath of people from many different political backgrounds who came together and said, we don't want to see this execution happen. And, you know, yeah, it was the far left, uh, but you had black nationalists, uh, you had you had Roman Catholics, the Pope opposed the execution. You had Mennonite kids, like the kids who lived up the street from me, some, some Mennonites in my, my neighborhood who, who went to Philadelphia to protest against it. And, and a wide coalition came together, and they said, we're going to stop the execution. And that's how real political change happens is when people who don't agree with each other can come together around, well, you know, a, a program. That's how these kind of changes happen. And, and the ability of people to put aside their political differences and say, okay, we may not agree on a lot, but we can agree on these concrete things. Uh, that's how, how things happen. And the, re- the reason Mumia Abu-Jamal, the, uh, the political prisoner and black liberation fighter is still alive is because a coalition was made, uh, a broad coalition was created around the demand of stopping that execution. And it, that's why it stopped.
4: Caleb
1: Maupin, I cannot thank you so much for waking up early with us. You're amazing. Awesome. Thank you so much. Caleb is an acclaimed speaker, writer, journalist, and political analyst. You can see more at Caleb Maupin TV on YouTube and the Center for Political Innovation, CPIUSA.org. You're listening to Fault Lines. We're back into
0: Fault Lines.
1: Lines. Live from the divided states of America, sitting atop the transmission tower of tooth, Tooth. Truth. Taking down one lie at a time in your lady's corner. My trolls call me Moscow, Mary, but I'm your pierogi princess, journalist extraordinaire, Farron Franzak,
2: And right with that tooth in the left corner... <laughs> I am your indefatigable, your ever vigilant, your last man on the wall, your political analyst, Jamaral Thomas.
1: Which means you're listening to Fault Lines with Franzak and Thomas
4: and Tooth.
5: Tooth.
1: <laughs> tooth. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to read through headlines really, really quick because then I'm going to have a special caller on the line. I'm going to do I'm going to do my monologue super quick before we have Tyler Nixon and Roger Eppinstone, baby. He's going to be here. I am. You guys, hopefully. You don't know, I am the biggest Roger Stone stand. So here we go.
2: Now, he went to sleep the first very first time and didn't show up. But hopefully he did show up the second time. Fingers crossed. Roger fingers, will be here.
1: Fingers crossed. 915. <laughs> or, if we do the Roger Stone. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Fingers, fingers, fingers open. <laughs> All right. So we're going to run through headlines. And then we're going to have a, a very, very, very special guest come on. Oh, by the way, five forty-five. 5.45. Oh, Oh, yeah. Oh, there, yeah. Was, there was well, a rumor
2: that me not being here was the reason they hit 500. That rumor has been dispelled. Oh,
1: wow. 545. <laughs> can we hit 600? Uh, Share it. We'll see. We'll Share see. this video. Jamarl Jamar is at peace now knowing that it peace. got to 500 too. <laughs> knowing that he wasn't the reason it wasn't getting to 500. Right. He's at peace now. Glad somebody's having a good day. Maybe you can pay my 50 bucks back to the government. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) All right. So in your headlines, in your national news, uh, we have President Joe Biden Monday submitted a fifty five point seven nine trillion dollar budget plan to Congress that calls for record peacetime military spending and further aid for Ukraine while raising taxes for billionaires and companies and lowering deficits. The president said he was calling for higher defense spending to strengthen the US military and forcefully respond to Russian President Vladimir Putin's aggression against Ukraine with 1 billion in additional US support for Ukraine's economic, humanitarian, and security needs. The House Select Committee investigating the January 6th insurrection at the US Capitol Monday referred two or for, two or more former Trump administration officials for criminal charges for their refusal to testify. The committee voted nine to zero in favor of referring criminal charges for former Trump White House aides, Dan Scavino Jr. and Peter Navarro. That recommendation will now be sent to the full House of Representatives for a vote. If that vote passes, the referral would be passed on to the Justice Department. In your international news, Ukrainian and Russian negotiators met in Turkey for the first face to face talks in nearly three weeks, with Ukraine seeing a ceasefire without compromising on territory or sovereignty as its forces have pushed Russians back from Kiev. Turkish President Tayyip Erdogan welcomed delegations from both sides at an Istanbul palace, saying stopping this tragedy was up to them. Ukrainian television reported the talks had begun with a cold welcome and no handshake. China began its most extensive coronavirus lockdown in two years Monday to conduct mass testing and control a growing outbreak in Shanghai as questions are raised about the economic toll of the nation's zero-COVID strategy. The citywide lockdown will be conducted in two phases and will be China's most extensive since the city the central city of Wuhan, where the virus was first detected in late 2019, confined its 11 million people to their homes for 76 days in early 2020. In your tech news, the price of Bitcoin jumped Monday following a slew of bullish developments for the cryptocurrency. Even as investors continue to monitor developments in the war in Ukraine and moves by the Federal Reserve, The coin traded above 48000 for the first time since December 31st. Your holidays, National Vietnam War Veterans Day, National Mom and Pop Business Owners Day, and Smoke and Mirrors Day. Those are your headlines for Tuesday, March 29th, 2022. So, yeah, there's a lot to talk about with um, what's going on with what the five fingers said to the face you know what I'm talking about folks
2: Do you know what you're talking about?
1: we talk about Will Smith Fresh um so we talked about it on uh Monday and I just kind of brought everybody up to speed but this is kind of one of these things where the reason that I wanted to talk about it is because I think it really truly does set a dangerous precedent um, one of the things that, that happened was as Will Smith did issue an apology. I'm going to pull it up here to read it. Insufficient.
2: <laughs> Always insufficient. I mean, he got on stage and slapped a comedian. I mean, full stop, right? Uh, Committed yeah. an assault on national television.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and we played the clip yesterday. Everybody has seen it probably a thousand times by now. But what he did say was violence in all its forms is poisonous and destructive. My behavior at last night's Academy Awards was unacceptable and inexcusable. Jokes at my expense are part of the job, but a joke about Jada's medical condition was too much for me to bear, and I reacted emotionally. I would like to publicly apologize to you, Chris. I was out of line, and I was wrong. I'm embarrassed, and my actions were not indicative of the man I want to be. There is no place for violence in a world of love and kindness. Um, it's not a
2: world of love and kindness, for one. And how about hitting the guy that was having sex with your
1: wife? That's it. That? The about that? statement reads on. Sorry, I'm just making sure that the guest is queued up. I would also like to apologize to the Academy, the producers of the show all the attendees and everyone watching around the world. I would like to apologize to the Williams family and my King Richard family. I deeply regret that my behavior has stained what has been an otherwise gorgeous journey for all of us. I'm a work in progress. Sincerely, Will Smith. Now, with that said, um, here's my my one thing that I have a problem with, is the night before, Um he was partying in Chicago. He was he was partying partying it up. And well, Will Smith. Yeah. And even his kids were saying, Yeah, that's how we do. And it was like, okay.
11: (laughs) Now I have a
1: very, very special guest to talk about this. And um, she has a lot of thoughts on this, but we have a good eight minutes to hear them. Um, we have my mother, Sue, from Chicago. Sue, welcome to the program. Purky queen.
4: Hello, daughter.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, So uh, we have 495 in the chat. Oh, oh, now, now, Mom, you brought it back up to 500. Um, Your thoughts on this whole Will Smith thing? We were talking about it yesterday, and you had some very, very strong um, thoughts on this.
4: Okay, first of all, I don't think Jada is upset about her shaved head. I have watched her program. Her mother has her hair very short. Willow had her hair very short like shaved head. So she's been wearing it like this for a while. She also there's a video out saying that she's proud of her bald head. Okay, so do I think she was that upset? No. Number 2. Will does have a criminal record. He assaulted somebody at one time and almost left someone blind. So was, I think, in 1989. So he does have a history of having probably a little bit of a bad temper. Number three, if they, were, if they were really insulted, which possibly they were, I don't know, they should have gotten up and walked out. I agree with that. I think that would have been good.
2: That would have been far better than him getting on stage and assaulting the guy.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And then once, once Chris Rock was finished, you know, that's it. What has happened? I think Chris Rock is coming out smelling like a rose in this one. His his prices of his his uh, tickets were $50. They're up to 400 now. Oh, wow.
2: Wow. Well, they know what Chris Rock is going to say in his next comedic <laughs> thing. <laughs> I mean, it is going to be scathing. I mean, to put it mildly, Will Smith, Um, you should have left that alone.
1: Well, and the part that's just so weird, though, and this is where I was talking about it with my mom. I was saying, look— he laughed at the joke first. Yeah, Like, he was laughing, and then all of a sudden, it got the, nur, 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 <laughs> like, the look. And he was like, oh, gosh. And, and you know, a lot of people are saying, you know, because he's Scientologist, which I didn't know that, Mom. I didn't know that there was a, a Scientologist. Yeah. So oh, like, he's going to oh, have to go get his meter readings. Yeah, yeah he's going to have to sit <laughs> he's gonna get get with his the, readings out with the metal things, yeah, for, like, 47 hours. <laughs> but, you know, the other thing that we were talking about, too, Mom, and we're actually going to have—and my mom knows this, too— We're going to have, can we, can we cue up that, that Madison Cawthorn soundbite? Um, we have, (laughs) (laughs) I know folks, I'm going to try to make my mom maybe like a weekly edition of the show because she knows everything about all the entertainment and what have you. Um, my mom, um, loves her politics too. She watches, she's in, she's in with all of it. And she's that like hashtag pierogi queen boomer. Um, mom, I want you to listen to Madison Cawthorn and what he said about coming to DC. Let's roll clip.
7: I mean, the sexual perversion that goes on in Washington, I mean, it, being kind of a young guy in Washington with the average age of probably 60 or 70, and I look at all these people, a lot of them that I, you know, I've looked up to through my life, always paid attention to politics, guys that, you know, it, then all of a sudden you get invited to, like, well, hey, we're going to have kind of a, a sexual get-together at one of our homes. You should come. And I'm like, what, what, what did you just ask me to come to? Yeah. And then you realize they're asking you to come to an orgy. Yeah. Uh, or, or the fact that you know there's some of the people that are leading on the movement to try and remove you know addiction in our country, and then you watch them do you know a key bump of cocaine right in front of you, and it's like wow this is this is wild, and then there's also kind of the whole. Espionage aspect of what goes on in Washington of you know so many people trade in secrets and there, there's a currency to secrets and yeah. so uh, it, it's wild and then you know there's members of the of the the media the journalists who kind of will keep nasty stories about you or about other people on a shelf and then if you're about to kind of speak out against something they don't want you to, they'll come out and say well we're about to drop the story of when you know 17 years ago you did X Y and Z and you don't want us to drop that story to you so we're, we're going to bully you back into this position
1: so mom. Madison Cawthorn, um, you're you're a fan. Uh, what do you, what do you make of him coming out and
4: revealing the truth about what goes on here in D.C.? That's like amazing. I'm glad that he said it. I I was thinking that they would probably try and silence him because I've already heard stories. You know, he was married for like nine months. You know, uh, as being a neuro nurse, I can tell you, being married to someone who's paralyzed not that I am, but that it's it's taken on a lot. And the fact that he's a senator or a congressman, whatever, um, it probably was very hard for a young girl having him away. And then when he comes home I mean, there's a lot in a marriage like that, I could see where it would be short lived because I've known others that have been short lived when they're paralyzed. Do I think they're going to try and dig up dirt on him? Yes. But I think it's great that he said that he just said now. You know what you did 17 years ago, because that's what I actually have heard. That oh, he was he would really come on to these girls, and he's a young guy.
2: He's 26 or something. Yeah, 26. Um, my feeling is he's been invited to these parties. He should just say thank you. They really? invite they invited him to orgies. They're inviting him to coke, whatever. Coke binges. Um, coke binges. Yeah, there's that. And I mean, like you said, he's in a wheelchair and everything else. I, I just take it as. I don't know. I, I, I don't. It's trading in secrets. thing seems worse to me. The orgies thing just seems like free love.
1: Now, full disclosure, Jamaral and I have not been invited to any of these parties. None.
2: None. <laughs> none at all. I'm still kind of upset about that.
1: Really?
4: I am not. <laughs> <laughs> but I have when he was talking, did he go to them?
2: I don't think so. I
4: mean, I that's a good yeah, question. I don't think, I I don't don't think, think so. Yeah. It
2: sounds like he's just outing them. Like, because I don't know if you could go and then said, man, I went to that orgy. <laughs> they invited me to and I have problems with it. Well, maybe he did because he said he saw him do lines of coke in front of him.
1: And that was a different parties. Though, oh. But he was saying the sex party. He didn't because. Yeah. Now, the other thing, though, that's interesting about this, mom, is and I've, I've always talked about like I always talk about two things. And my family always rolls their eyes. Documentaries and podcasts. Both of those are good. Right, eyes are rolling. <laughs> but my, as my, my parents come from the generation of you know the news comes on at five o'clock. I mean they're the boomer generation. Whereas our generation is very much this long form. Um, even though we're radio here, we're also we also would be considered a podcast. Um, but you have like the Joe Rogan podcast and all of that stuff. And he's he, this came out in a podcast, mom. He would never be able to say this kind of stuff on air, on air with Tucker Carlson. I mean, because it would just be, I think, too much. Um, But do you think um, with this younger generation that they're going to be coming out and uh, exposing a lot more? Or do you think Madison Cawthorn's an
4: outlier? I hope they do. I mean, I watched that, the Jackson thing last week for the Supreme Court, and I was absolutely nauseated when I saw, I was like, is anyone under 80? I mean, (laughs) seven. Seven. So it's like, all right, but these people have made a career in politics, being either a congressman or a senator, and that makes me sick to my stomach. There's no service. There's some that are good, but I would say a majority of them, I don't trust any of them. Agreed, Mom. Any of them.
2: You are all fall between.
4: No, when I, when I see Nancy Pelosi's worth $100 million after getting a salary of 174000 a year, how did that happen? Now, Mom, this morning news just
1: broke that we're going to send a billion dollars more over to Ukraine. Your thoughts?
4: No. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, you know, I've traveled a lot. Everywhere I go, I'm seeing more and more homeless people. I'm seeing more and more homeless veterans. We need to take care of our own. We need to clean up our act.
2: But mom, don't we need to, you know, keep Ukraine in our orbit? Isn't that greatly important? I mean, and isn't that worth paying for our values with inflation and high gas prices and, of course, you know, homelessness?
1: I mean, at least that's what was shown on Hunter Biden's laptop. Yeah, no, no. We need to open up the Keystone Pipeline. That's what we need to do and we'll be okay. See Jamaral shaking his head. And that's I I'm with Sue on this one too. <laughs> I'm
2: a lefty on this so stuff. So it's two on one.
1: But <laughs> um but mom, the other thing too is yeah, is is nobody's talking about Hunter Biden's laptop. And you're having this age of censorship come out. And you know, I our our generation we don't even deal with Facebook. But you are the generation, mom, where you're like the Facebook queen. Um, What are a lot of your Facebook friends and everybody else saying as far as the Hunter Biden laptop and all of that? Give us an insight into your generation, because I think it's good if we can all bridge the gap together, as Caleb Maupin just told us. We all have commonalities versus all the differences that we have. So give us a a snapshot into your generation and what's what's around the Facebook. Uh,
4: There's two sides. There is the Libs that just think that no matter what Joe biden does he's wonderful even though they know that the guy is senile as a neuro nurse i'm going to tell you the guy's got dementia and it makes me sick because i think it's elderly abuse the fact that jill biden will let him do this just because she wants to be first lady makes me sick to myself. i've said that
2: myself i have said jill biden doesn't love her husband i've said it many times it's like you can't love your husband and have your husband out there like that you can't there's no way
4: it's just, it's, it's horrible. And my thing is, who is running this country? Because it certainly isn't him. Uh, so I have friends who will just, like, stick up for him no matter what he does. But then I have the other side where they just think that no matter what happens, the Hillary Clintons, the Hunter Bidens, the Joe Bidens, they get away with everything. It seems like no matter what the conservatives do, it's, you know, their backs are against the wall. But anything the, uh, the Libs do or the Democrats, they get away with it all. And that's, that's a sad state where you think, you know, people don't want to, I, I feel like some of my friends are starting to get more and more quiet because they're getting afraid.
1: What what do a lot of the people on Facebook where, I mean, obviously you're going to have Facebook where they're all going to be putting their Ukraine flags up and whatnot, but do you feel like people understand mom kind of what's going on with Ukraine, I mean, especially now, I mean, before, I will say this, before all of it, I could understand people being like, oh, Ukraine, Ukraine, because they're not, many of, of your generation, it's hard for them to branch out to alternative media like our generation has because of, of, you know, YouTube and where you can find these people. But, you know, you have now with the explosive story of Hunter Biden's laptop and showing with these bio labs and all that stuff, are people starting to take a second look at what's going on with Ukraine and maybe thinking, hey, this is like a proxy war and, and look at all the Biden corruption surrounding Ukraine.
4: What are you seeing? I think that most people were very much against Russia from the beginning. Now I see, especially when you watch Tucker and some of these other programs, you're starting to see a little bit of a different point of view. And then you look at it and you think, okay, the Bidens are up to their ears." In corruption with Ukraine. What is really going on here? Yeah, I think. Is it something that we're in this thing with Ukraine and they want, they, didn't they say there's already like a billion dollars missing from the stuff that we've given them already?
2: Oh, I wouldn't be shocked. I would not be shocked. I would not be shocked, not be shocked at
1: all.
4: But you know what, mom? It's like You
1: were, you were a hit and people want you actually to come back as a regular the pierogi queen, Sue Franzak, And you know what, mom? I think we're going to have it happen because I think you gave a glimpse into a different generation, kind of what's going on. And mom, you're going to be happy to know that after one of my heroes is going to be on the show and it was the man that turned your father into a Reagan Democrat, mom, Roger Stone. Really quick, before we get to that, uh, talk about Grandpa really quick and why he ended up voting for Reagan after being such a blue dog Democrat.
4: My dad was a union man who worked at Procter & Gamble on the docks. He started off at Kraft. Him and his brother were both in the Korean War, and they came back, and you know they started at Kraft, and then all of a sudden they switched over to Procter & Gamble and worked the docks. Very much a union man. He was a Chicago Democrat, a daily Democrat. But he started seeing where the Democrats started changing. And he was like, these are not the Democrats that I'm accustomed to. He died in 2016. He was very much, he was so glad. I remember staying with him and he was just kept on, he was so sick, but he'd open his eyes and he'd say, did Trump win? (laughs) He just hated what the Democratic Party became. Yeah. Man, it wasn't a party for the working man. It started to be all these elites at the school. You know, my dad was just a good, honest Catholic man. He, Irish Catholic said the rosary every day. Every single night my dad said the rosary. Just a hard working good guy. And he just looked at it like if he saw all this stuff with this wokeness and everything, he would oh my God.
1: Well, Mom, I can't thank you enough. We're going to make you a regular segment, and everyone is saying in the chat, long live the pierogi queen. <laughs> Sue Franz, I love you, Mom. RIP Grandpa, Grandpa Tommy. And we will be right back after this quick break. You're listening to Fault Lines. Hope you love that segment. It's being a regular, folks. We're back in two minutes with Tyler Nixon and Roger Eppinstone, baby! Fault
0: Lines. Fault lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines.
1: I'm Farron Francese, sitting in with my co-host Jamarl Thomas. We are super excited for these next two guests. Um, I particularly am because I think they're both pretty much <laughs> my my heroes. <laughs> um, first, we have Tyler Nixon. He's an Army Infantry veteran, counselor at law, constitutionalist, advocate, writer, technologist, critical historian, and extremist in the defense of liberty. Roger Stone is an American conservative political consultant and lobbyist. Since the 1970s, Stone has worked on the campaigns of Republican politicians, including Richard Nixon, Ronald Reagan, Jack Kemp, Bob Dole, George W. Bush, and Donald Trump. In addition to frequently serving as a campaign advisor, Stone was also a political lobbyist. And if you've seen the award-winning documentary, Get Me Roger Stone, then you know Roger Stone is pretty much the inventor of the super PAC and my hero, Tyler Nixon, Roger Stone, welcome to the program. Roger Stone, I don't know if you just heard my mother, but she explained exactly how you identified the Reagan Democrat and you were able to change my grandfather from a Chicago Democrat to a Republican for the rest of his life.
3: Let's get right down to the most important point. I want some of those pierogies. When do I get those?
2: (laughs) (laughs) You missed it. She bought an entire plate. We were like taking up these huge plates coming into the office and everything else. Oh, you missed it, my man. It wasn't just pierogies. It was also what um, um, Polish sausage. Kielbasa. 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 They were really good.
1: That was all made from my mother.
2: Oh, you guys missed it. You guys missed it.
3: Welcome to the show, guys. Uh, I'm delighted to be here. Tyler is here because these days I don't go anywhere without my lawyer. I don't talk without my lawyer. Mm
12: -hmm
2: very good advice. Very, very good um, advice. And yeah, Farron, she's straightforward. She has been very excited about this interview. She was like, I love Roger Stone. She was like that documentary, Get Me Roger Stone. I is hung out with you at one. Trump
1: Tower one night, you, yep. your wife and your stepdaughters. I mean, I yeah, you've been like, ever since I watched Get Me Roger Stone and I really started getting into politics, I was like, this man is my hero. <laughs> He's my hero, because I don't know. As you
3: know, for the unhinged American left, I'm I'm public enemy number one. I'm the most dangerous person in America. I'm so dangerous. They had to send 29 fully SWAT clad uh, FBI agents brandishing fully automatic M4 assault weapons to surround my house at six o'clock in the morning to take me into custody for the completely fabricated crime of lying to Congress. Something that happens every single day. Uh, and uh, it was a, it was an extraordinary uh, odyssey to have the full weight of the federal government and their buddies in the corrupt corporate media world. It's a cabal. They work together, try to destroy you. But here I am, uh, Tyler Nixon, my most able attorney at my side through that entire ordeal. Uh, and we live to fight another day. We're right back on the ramparts. My grandchildren told me after this two-year ordeal that maybe it was time to hang it up. Maybe I should just retire to the beach, write a few historical books and so on. But I'm not going to do that. Uh, I love America too much. Uh, I hate to see what's going on in the country, our, our ridiculous foreign policy Uh, included. So here I am back on fault line, ready to talk truth.
2: Roger, i wanted to get to the Reagan Democrat stuff. Um, Farron had her mom on and her mom was basically making the point about how her dad, union man, um, voted for Reagan. Um, He was one of those Democrats that basically crossed the line in order to vote for Reagan. And basically that vote for Reagan basically kept him there the rest of his life. What was the plan or the playbook that you were basically able to use to entice this kind of Reagan Democrat policy or this Reagan Democrat, um, policy is not the right word for it, this announcement or this kind of run that you were using uh, for the campaign for Ronald Reagan. What was it, and why was it so effective?
3: There was a time uh, when the only major difference in the two parties uh, really revolved around economic issues. In other words, both John Kennedy and Richard Nixon were anti-communists. Both of them believed in a strong national defense. Both of them were patriots that loved America— uh, the Democrats wanted to tax a little more and spend a little more. The Republicans wanted to tax less and spend less. But fundamentally, both parties were patriotic parties. That began to change uh, really in the 1960s. The, the Reagan Democrats were Nixon Democrats before they were Reagan Democrats. At the time of Richard Nixon in 1968, uh, it was a trickle. The South was just starting to move right, where you had white, blue-collar Democrats in the South, white, blue-collar Catholic Democrats in the Midwest and the Northeast realized that their pardon party had abandoned them. Ronald Reagan himself was once a Democrat. He switched when he realized that the Democratic Party was no longer anti-communist, that it was no longer for individual rights. Uh, And of course, today, uh, you have a situation in which the Democratic Party has been completely taken over by radical socialists. There are no moderate Democrats anymore. That's an oxymoron. Never mind conservative Democrats. That doesn't exist at all. There are corporate Democrats, Nancy Pelosi comes to mind, who uh, embrace socialism, uh, and, and, uh, at the same time, they line their pockets, They're corporate Democrats, but we've had a great realignment in this country. The democratic party has nothing to run on. They believe in collectivism. They basically admit that they, uh, that they uh, believe in socialism. And what I'm living for is the harsh democratic primary for the U S Senate between OAOC and Chuck Schumer. That's what I want to see. Now, there's a contest in which I don't I don't care who wins. <laughs> I hate them both.
1: Now, Roger, one of the big things that you're seeing now, especially is with this whole Russia and, and Ukraine nonsense. You are having, um, you know, for example, Joe Biden, he's putting out there they want to send a billion dollars more to Ukraine now when we have so many problems here. And you have kind of your right, your, your Trumpers on the right, uh, not not that you're corporate Republicans like, you, you know, because I feel like both parties have a corporate power in the middle. You're your Trumpers who were, you know, the working class, those those Reagan Democrats types um, that have, have morphed into the Trump uh, party. And then you also have progressives, though, that I feel are coming together and they're saying, look, we've got problems here. Why aren't we looking at stuff what's going on here? Why are we giving all this money to Ukraine when we've got tent cities outside of Capitol Hill? Do you think this is the opportunity, especially come November, that you're going to see a red wave like we've never seen before?
3: Well, I think we probably make a fundamental mistake when we view anything through the prism of Republicans and Democrats. It's really, that's almost a Hegelian device that is used to confuse us. The difference today is between insiders and outsiders, between a political establishment, which is entirely bipartisan. There are no differences between Lindsey Graham and, say, uh, Diane Feinstein. They're identical. They talk, I mean, Lindsey Graham's a perfect example. He talks a great game. But, you know, this guy wanted people shot on January 6th. He wants to know why the Capitol Hill police didn't just open fire on Trump supporters He also has called for the assassination of Putin. Uh, He never saw a war he didn't like. Uh, The guy is a rhino trader. Uh, He's kind of pig-eyed, too, if you ask me. Uh, And I'm really tired of that mincing queen trying to push us into World War III. Uh, It's a mistake, I think, to to see things through that prism of Republican versus Democrat. That said, the pendulum has clearly swung back. Gas prices are going up higher than Hunter Biden. <laughs> if you go to the, I mean, I mean, I mean, if you go to the gas pump and you start pumping, the numbers on the gas pump will go up faster than when Brian Stelter steps on a scale. Uh, it, it 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 is uh, uh, so between this foreign policy uh, in which we uh, are hell bent on putting offensive missiles. In Ukraine, we've already put in the launch pads. By the way, it's just a matter of dropping in the missiles in violation of agreements we made back in the time of Yeltsin, for that matter. Uh, yes, we do have bio labs uh, that are taxpayer funded in Ukraine. No, that's not a conspiracy theory or a lie. The Biden administration blurted it out and then tried to take it back. So uh, the whole phony narrative. Uh, about what's really happening in Ukraine and what what really brought this about, uh, is, I think, uh, suppressed in the United States. you You can't voice that point of view on Fox or on CNN, certainly on any of the networks, uh, but between their collapsed foreign policy, where the the uh, uh, Iranians are raining missiles on Israel, where the North Koreans have restarted their nuclear weapons development program uh, with the, the uh, war in Ukraine, with the Chinese uh, harassing American flagged ships uh, in the South China Sea, continuing to steal our technology online, uh, manipulating our currency. Uh, the, the Biden administration just exudes weakness at a minimum. Uh, or uh, even worse, culpability in the downfall of the country and the cancellation of the U.S. Constitution. So yes, the stars are in alignment for a massive red wave. However, anyone who thinks that just giving a majority to Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy is going to change anything really doesn't understand what's happening in the country. The problem today are not socialist Democrats, screwball, left-wing socialist Democrats. Our problem are the feckless, gutless, weak-kneed, lily-livered, white-wine-swelling, country-club-belonging establishment Republicans who are in politics to line their pockets and the pockets of their friends. I don't want to name any names. Mitt Romney I don't want to point out I don't want to point out any individuals Lindsey Graham Uh, I don't I, I don't want to specify those who are particularly egregious like say Marco Rubio uh that's your real problem today it's not Democrats it's Republicans
13: I I just good good morning good morning uh, and I would, of course, let Roger have the word, but I just got a text from my old uh, schoolmate, uh, Hunt Biden, and he, he wanted to say that he resembles that remark, uh, Roger. Um, <laughs> and uh, that being said, I'm keeping it, I, I think I put a finer point on the inside versus outside. I think what, what we're up against is basically fascism versus freedom fighters. And I, and I want to say, I'm keeping an eye on this, uh, on the um, the the chat uh, feature here. And uh, there's a couple questions, burning questions I noticed first is is maybe you can answer this roger was 911 an inside job and the second is were you a member of sly and the family stone
3: <laughs> uh let's take those in the reverse order uh, I really like sly and the family stone but I was never fully admitted as a member I do remember taking the oath but I don't think I was sworn in uh, on the second question I- I'm unsure about 911 there are a lot of uh strange questions about it. I do wonder why the third building collapsed, having been hit by nothing. Now, right now, there's a dozen guys over at Media Matters for America rushing to their laptops to say, oh my God, Stone is a conspiracy theorist. No, I'm a I'm a conspiracy realist, meaning I just go where the facts take me, uh, but I'm hardly an expert on 9-11.
1: But I think it's one of these things where I, and here's another perfect example. Jamar and I were talking about this in the car, and I'll, and I'll tell you my my wave here. When when the whole election happened in 2020, I was like, no, the, the, this wasn't rigged. There's no way that the election is set. Then you start looking and you researching. You you're, you're researching Ukraine, Russia. Um, and, and since 1960, we've been involved in 62 government coups. Uh, many of them overturning elections. And I started to think more and more as I see Biden, where he is basically like brought out on puppet strings, and he doesn't know the difference between an apple and a potato, where I'm like, look, I there, there are some cases, you know, or just I started to question like, could we actually rig our elections? Could we rig our own elections? Because we can do it in all these other countries at the snap of a finger, why wouldn't they do it here, especially when Trump came in and completely changed the game as a, as more of a populist president who was, you know, making waves, you know, kind of knocking down Pelosi and all of them to kind of levels they had never seen that low. COVID comes in. I mean, you should be able to question it. And the fact that we can do it to all these other governments, I think it's a question to ask. What say
3: you? Well, I think it's even worse than that. We can not only rig an election, but we can then suppress the voices of anyone who wants to stand up and say, wait, there's questions about this election. Uh, There's nobody worse than the Associated Press. They just say this over again, uh, that it's a lie. It's all a lie that they facilitated Trump's lies. You're trying to amplify Trump's lies. If you simply point out the extraordinary number of anomalies and irregularities in the 2020 election. I mean, it, it, it is beyond dispute that in Pennsylvania, there are some precincts in Philadelphia where more people voted than are registered to vote. There is no question that the state sends out, I believe it's a roughly 1.3 absentee ballots and gets back 2.3 absentee ballots. So uh, it uh, it is the big lie is that there's no irregularities or fraud in the 2020 election. Now, you can't say definitively that the election was stolen. You can also not say definitively that it was not stolen. The reason for that is no judicial body, no regulatory body, no legislative body at the state or the federal level, has ever heard the evidence. There's never been a trial. There's never been a a public uh, uh, airing of these issues. No one would hear it. So the real question you have to be concerned about is, could this happen again in 2022? They got away with it in 2020. Uh, The election's not going to be overturned. I love Mike Lindell. He's a colorful guy. He's a patriot. His heart's in the right place. Uh, But it is unrealistic to think that there is any judicial or legislative body that's going to overturn the last election and restore Trump to office. Now, I understand Mike's lawyers at seven hundred dollars an hour are telling him otherwise, but they're wrong. Uh, And therefore, uh, we have to focus going forward Uh, as Richard Nixon, who was my mentor uh, Tyler Nixon's uh, uh, distant relative said, always look forward, never look back.
2: And yet we're looking back at this particular election and bringing up false election claims. Quote, a comparison of official county election results of the total number of voters who voted on November 3rd, 2020, as recorded by the Department of State, shows that 6,962,607 total ballots were reported as being cast, while DOS system records that indicated 6,700 60,000 or 760,000, 230 total votes actually voted, the release says.
1: But your source is the AP, as he, Roger had just said. I, I know, but if you're looking at this
2: stuff and you're basically saying, okay, well, the newspapers are reporting something very different. Look, you guys had the opportunity to go around the globe or to go around the world or the United States to try to make that case. Case wasn't made. And so, no, definitively, as a flat fact or as a cosmic fact, I'm making the point that you guys had the opportunity to make this case. You had millions of dollars to make this case, and you didn't make the case. And, yeah, you can discount the AP. You can discount all of the other newspapers that basically give the um, details of the issue. Fair enough. You can do that. And, no, we don't necessarily know it definitively. Like, God made it in that sense. The only thing we can go by is evidence. You guys had the opportunity to put it in court. You didn't make the case. Let me respond.
3: No, we we never had the opportunity to make the case. You have to have a hearing to make the case. We never had that opportunity. We did attempt to make the case. The court has to agree to hear something before you can make your case. Check that out, please.
13: That's that's exactly right. And I just want to say that finding out that Mike Lindell is paying $700 an hour, Roger, I'm going to send you my retain uh, revised retainer agreement. Um, <laughs> um, that being said... Uh, Tomorrow, look, I mean, I just watched last, I don't know, two weekends ago, uh, Lindell held a, they're they're going around the country holding, uh, you know, voter uh, integrity conferences. First of all, they're proposing changes that I think are legitimate and would would put all this to bed, that we don't have black box voting, which frankly goes back to the, you know, the Bush 2004 election when people were made aware of the anomalies when Diebold and these companies owned by like Cheney and et cetera. Look, thousand
2: percent agree with you on this.
13: Yeah, that percent. Yeah. And, and so the point is, I mean, look, we can all I think we all need to agree that election reform needs to happen, that the vote reform needs to happen. How it's done, we need to go back to, unfortunately, paper ballots, because the the, the ability for these. And by the way, they also deny. And, and, you know, here's here's the thing. Why would these companies like. Uh, Dominion, and why would these secretaries of state like here and Jen, uh, Jenna Griswold in, in Colorado lie about the fact that these uh, machines are connected to the internet, and they cannot be certified if they are under federal uh, federal law, basically to be you know properly certified for the election? They can't be connected to the internet yet they are, and they've lied about this. And the and the uh, technology has been integrated into these machines. So you know, I guess who's lying here? I mean, and who? And frankly, again, it comes back. It's similar to 9/11. The fact that nobody can discuss it and you're just a whack job if you even raise questions according to the establishment
3: tells you that you're close to the truth and you're over the target. Roger? Well, some of it's just anomaly. In other words, I, I just really decline to believe that in the African-American precincts in Milwaukee, uh, in Detroit, in Philadelphia, uh, in Miami, for example, that Joe Biden ran 20% better than Barack Obama. Who's an iconic figure, an iconic historic figure that defies logic. Uh, then there's the realities of the election. Joe Biden was having trouble getting 200 people to a rally. There's just no evidence of any enthusiasm or intensity around his candidacy.
1: And Roger, if you if you watch like Right Side Broadcasting Network, they they air and even Newsmax is now starting to air Trump rallies again. But I mean, there was just one last weekend and the place was packed. I mean, people are still coming out and I feel like, you know, he, he hasn't even announced that he's running and, the, and there's thousands of people going to his rallies, which I think says something. Oh,
3: two things. Right side is going to have problems with that because they, um, they've been now banned on YouTube because they, because they uh, featured those rallies. The turnout, in all honesty, in Georgia for the president's rally just days ago was a little less than I thought it would be. I'm not sure what the significance of that is, but this is something that I think the media missed in 2016. In my business, we call it, we admit that it's anecdotal evidence, but there was anecdotal evidence that Trump was gaining in those final days uh, and that Hillary Clinton— who had far more experience in national politics and more, far more experience in running a presidential campaign, but she wasn't dropping, she was just sitting still. She wasn't gaining, but she also wasn't lo- wasn't losing. Trump, however, did have a late surge. So in other words, while Hillary was in Chappaqua, looking at fabric swatches to, to select the fabric for the drapes in the White House, Trump is barnstorming Detroit, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, uh, 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 Phoenix, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, and so on. He's in the Democratic strongholds. And when you go examine the internals post-election, yeah, in the city of Detroit, he runs 3% better than Mitt Romney. Well, 3% in the African community is a swing of of more than the 10,000 votes that he carried Michigan by. So those small incremental differences uh, in the inner cities, in the swing states, actually elects Trump in the end. It's where he runs just slightly better than Romney, and that's sufficient for victory.
13: Yeah, not to mention well, but in in putting David Pluff in charge of hundreds of millions of dollars in in Wisconsin of Zuckerberg money. You know, that's certainly, uh, you want to talk about election rigging. But I would urge you to look at the Arizona Maricopa County report, Jamaral, in, by which uh, there were clearly and an double voting, people voting twice in different counties, people voting from out of state after or, or they had left the state. And nonetheless, those people were voted. There's been canvassing done, ground canvassing where they've gone door to door and found that people, uh, found that votes were cast from their address by people who didn't live there you know, or lived there previously or people who in the ho- household didn't vote, but, you know, turns out a vote was cast on their behalf. So, you know, and these were definitely, I mean, especially in all these were close, close races, um, that, that, you know, were swung to Biden as a result of this. And, uh, I just urge you to do your homework and not just accept what's, what's been fed to you by the, uh. You know, the establishment media, the corporate fascist media, frankly, the propaganda media that's piled in on this and have made, uh, you know, basically even questioning the election results akin to, uh, you know, w- worse than or as bad as the January sixth lie, which I'm sure Roger might want to get into.
2: Look, fair enough. I mean, and we have questioned the election results here. We allowed that kind of conversation to take place. We allowed that conversation to take place all the way up to Sidney Powell talking about the CIA working with um, the Cubans. Um, in order to kind of rig the election for Joe Biden. I mean, we covered it all. So I get it. We can agree to disagree on it. I do have a question, though. When you guys are, if you had to, will Roger Stone be helping Trump if he runs again? And if so, what would be the election strategy to take out Biden? I mean, Farron always say a potato can beat Biden. I agree with her on that. But still, I mean, you guys were the ones that started Make America Great Again, I believe. You guys started the Reagan Democrats. And so Roger has been instrumental in coming up with these, policy proposals or at the very least this kind of framing that the American public hone in on, what would it be this time around?
3: Well, first of all, a year is a, you know, uh, is a lifetime in politics. Uh, if I were former president Trump, I would not decide whether or not I was going to run again until after the 2022 elections. Uh,
1: yeah, you got time. He's
3: plenty of time. I I think you want to see if those elections are free, fair and transparent. Uh, you want to see whether or not, and this is kind of my argument, whether or not you elect a small subset of Republicans in the House and the Senate. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess you need about 20 members in the House and maybe only four uh, or five. Or if you count Rand Paul, who I think is a great patriot, you've already got one. Uh, you can drive those bodies. In other words, hey, Kevin McCarthy, no, we're not electing you speaker. We're, we're actually going to abstain on that vote until you give us what we want, uh, for example. Uh, I think if you do that, then just the election of Republican majorities with the election of a subset of Republicans who are prepared to hardline it, you could change the course of history uh, uh, w- without, uh, you know, taking back the White House in 2024. Uh, it's it is so far ahead, we don't even know that Biden will be well enough to run for re-election. I kind of doubt it. I mean, uh, I, he does not look well to me. He doesn't sound well to me. He, there's no question that he crapped his pants when he went to the Vatican. You can look. You can look at the pictures. Why is he wearing a suit in which the pants and the jacket match in one picture before he sees the pope? Then he's wearing the same suit jacket and a different color pants afterwards. And of course, in the Italian press, there were a number of stories that reported that he had had a quote unquote bathroom accident, whatever that is. So uh,
1: like the SNL, oops, I crap my pants. He was excited. He saw the
0: Pope. I mean, obviously, I, I'm so. telling
3: you when when, <laughs> when when Donald Trump when Donald Trump Saw the Queen of England, he didn't drop a deuce. I guarantee you that. So.
1: Now, Roger, you talk about, <laughs> first of all, Roger, have you ever thought about stand-up comedy? Uh, <laughs> no. But, um, you know, to your point, though, talking about some of the Republicans, almost kind of like a force of vote. For example, you had guys like Jimmy Dore calling on AOC and the squad calling for force the vote. They were all for it and they were going to do it. And then at the last second, they got bought out and it didn't happen. Now, my question for you that I've been wanting to ask you for a while now, again, for folks that haven't seen Get Me Roger Stone, it is amazing, and back in the day, it, it, it the, the the documentary talks about and shows how when you had Ross Perot come on, that it completely kind of sideswiped George H. W. Bush as that third party candidate, and you in your mind were like, "That is never going to happen again." When you had in the two, the two thousand presidential election, when you had Pat Buchanan come on the scene for the Reform Party. You were like, Mm-mm, this isn't going to go well. Like we're not, we're not having another Ross Perot moment. You know, ultimately having George W. or excuse me, yeah, George W. winning the election. My question to you is: with these insiders in the Republican and Democratic Party now being outnumbered by outsiders. Is it now time for a third party to kick the insiders out and to you know try to clean house, clean this dirty swamp?
3: Uh, here's the problem, uh, and that is uh, while there is certainly enough sentiment in the country for a third party, and I, I would remind you, in 2012, I supported Governor Gary Johnson as the Libertarian Party nominee for president. I actually bolted the Party of Lincoln, the Party of Goldwater, the Party of Reagan. I was a former young Republican national chairman, but I left the Republican Party, re registered as a Libertarian. Boy, if you think people are crazy in the Republican Party, you should try that out for a while. Uh, then, <laughs> then I switched back uh, to be a Republican because Donald Trump's nomination was the hostile takeover of the Republican Party that had become the province of the Bush family. Uh, the problem here is that the ballot access laws in the 50 states. Uh, And the domination of the media that will not admit any third or new party candidate to a presidential debate makes the obstacles to a new party, the legal and regulatory obstacles, really formidable. Now, if you have $100 million, yeah, I can help you start a new party. But without that, it's, it's just getting on the ballot alone, getting a candidate on the ballot alone, at the state or federal level, is an extraordinarily expensive uh, procedure. And the laws, Tyler Nix can speak to that, are extraordinarily arcane uh, and they're difficult because they were written by Republicans and Democrats working together to make primary challenges within the parties more difficult and make independent or third-party candidacies virtually impossible.
1: My last question I want to touch upon is January 6th, because you have a Maidan coup happening in 2014 where the Obama administration had zero problem with them burning government buildings, sniping people outside of them, um, all in an effort to overthrow the Ukrainian government. You have here where some people were bad actors, um, but, you know, for example, Brandon Strucka who was on the east side of the Capitol, never even near going inside the Capitol, is put on house arrest for a year. Um, Some of these sentences I, I don't think fit the crime for what happened. Um, your thoughts on January 6th, and I mean, personally, I think a lot of it is so that nobody gets any ideas in their head of maybe a a revolution, not a government overthrow, but a revolution of the people, um, a, a kind of, you know, more of the the insiders versus the outsiders. And again, the insiders, as we know, are completely outnumbered. But your thoughts on January 6th and, and what's going on with that?
3: Well, I'm really glad you brought this up.
1: And, and, and also why no Republicans are standing up for these people in prison. That's the thing my mom has been saying. Why are no Republicans standing up for these people in prison?
3: I'm really glad you brought it up. Yesterday, uh, late Sunday, actually, uh, the report of the January 6th committee was issued, and it specifically said um, that uh, uh, that there had been uh, uh, a failure by Peter Navarro, who had uh, suggested to Mark Meadows that, that he call Roger Stone prior to January 6th, and that the committee wanted to uh, question Navarro further about that and question me, although we had both asserted our Fifth Amendment rights. Let me be very clear. I've never spoken to Mark Meadows in my life, ever, nor communicated with him, ever, and the last time I spoke to Peter Navarro was well over three years ago. Yet yeah, there it is in the report. Uh, it's, it, is a, it is a masterpiece of guilt by association, uh, uh, supposition, conjecture, and outright smear. Uh, let me say it again, because my attorney, uh, who's on the line here, wrote it for me. Any implication, assertion, or claim that I knew about, was involved in or condoned any of the illegal acts on January 6th in Washington, D.C., or on any other date or occasion, is categorically false. And there is no evidence or witness to the contrary. Yet, I've lost work because of January 6th. I, I was the subject of a four-page spread in the Washington Post three Sundays ago. They haven't given that much space to anything since JFK was shot. Uh, but it is is—it is all 100% fake news. Wasn't there. Didn't go to the Ellipse. Didn't march to the Capitol. Wasn't at the Capitol. Know nothing whatsoever about it. Oh, Roger Stone knows Donald Trump and he speaks to him. True. Roger Stone knows members of the Proud Boys. True. Roger Stone came in contact with members of the Oath Capers. True. All of that proves nothing whatsoever. Nothing proves nothing. Uh, But this smear just goes on, uh, and the chief smear artist is Adam Schiff. Well, my attitude is clear. If it's Schiff, flush it. (laughs) (laughs) Agreed. thousand
2: percent agree on that. If it's Schiff,
13: flush it. People can say what they will of Roger Stone, but he is absolutely an oracle. And has his finger on the pulse of American politics, and you know I've worked with him long enough to see it, and know politics well enough to see it. And when you see when you see what's written about Roger Stone in the in the public in in the propaganda media, and what the reality is behind the scenes, it couldn't be more starkly different. And and Roger's absolutely correct. I mean I was in touch with him throughout that whole. It's just amazing when you read it, when you know what really went on and you read what is written and it's just insane. These people are fiction writers and propagandists. They're
2: not media. or Tyler, uh, we're going to have to jump in because
13: to I always say, it. too,
1: he was, he was a political prophet. Yeah. He was a political prophet of our day. He the can see it all.
2: Boys, you guys were listening, too. I want to thank both of you, Tyler Nixon, Roger Stone. Thank you. Army infantry veteran, counselor at law, constitutionalist, advocate, writer, etc. And we have Roger Stone best-selling author. I'm and done. get me
1: Roger Stone, the inventor of the super pack, baby. Thank you.
2: You guys are listening to Fault Lines, Thomas franzak I want to thank the engineers. I want to thank our producer. I want to thank Farron franzak my co-host, and I want to thank all of you. My name is Jamal Thomas. See you tomorrow.
1: May the good news be yours.
2: Fault Lines.